Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Greetings and welcome once again to another episode of the Retro Redoctopocephala Podcast. And not just another episode, but a very special episode as the season four finale is upon oh, us. Oh, yeah, I can feel it. Oh, the energy, it's in the air. Oh, it's exciting. It's There's electricity. electricity. <laughs> the Boogie season Woogie. four finale, finale of the only show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome, as you may or may not know. We are part of the Dorking and Inebriart Podcast Networks, and as always, are brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. I am your host, 8-Bit Alchemy, and with me, as always, are my season-ending cohorts, Ooh. Parasite Steve. You know, a podcast is like a novel. Until the very last page, you don't know how it'll end. That is true. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. true. And a Nintendo. And now, the conclusion. The, the thrilling conclusion, you might say. I hope mm. you're thrilled. I hope you're excited. I, I hope you can feel the electricity. I anticipate thrills and chills and possibly spills. Although, <laughs> the last time there was a spill was when I dumped an entire... Uh, cup of hot tea onto my chair right before recording so actually uh, actually a bad I'm hoping, way to start an episode yeah <laughs> i'm hoping for no spills actually yeah. let's yeah let's avoid thrills and chills. Yeah, let's avoid the spills yes thrills chills full stop full stop yeah so here on the retro octopus cephala podcast we have been known to like to do a certain kind of thing with our season finales and that is we like to find and watch classic movie each of us uh that we've never seen that we've heard a lot about yes. uh and and talk about it and so this season will be no different i i promise you that we will at some point in this episode do exactly yes. that and every every uh, year we, we ask for these people to do the same thing and, and everybody says well what's a classic movie what's a classic movie and i uh, and I say it's up to you. What do you think a classic movie is? I can't say. What's classic to you? What's classic to you? <laughs> or really not classic to you. What's classic to the other people? Because the point is you haven't seen it, right? right. That's the idea. Right. What, what feels like, a, like, do you feel guilty <laughs> for never seeing like The Godfather or something? Right. Like, is Casablanca a movie that's just escaped right. your watch list? Right. Like something. And you're like, oh, I should probably see that one day. 
Right. So, <laughs> so we will most certainly be doing that uh, during part two of our show. But in part one, we will be talking about some analytics, some numbers, some some not really math. There's really no math involved. I mean, someone somewhere is doing math, but <laughs> nothing's not more thrilling than number crunching. Mm, gotta crunch them numbies. <laughs> but we are. We're not going to do any math. Don't worry. We are just going to say numbers and you're going to be impressed and we're going to feel better about ourselves because you're impressed. Trust us. So (laughs) to, to get right into the swing of things, we will break down this season. We've had 38 total episodes in season four, 23 Mm -hmm. mainline episodes, eight crow's nests, six Briggs, our interview show. If you aren't familiar and one episode of a new bonus format nintendo's jukebox so uh nintendo yes talk, sir. talk to us a little bit about how you felt pioneering this nintendo's jukebox show and uh, where you want to go with it well you see the, the idea of nintendo's jukebox is basically just a music show where i just play the music that i enjoyed listening to when i was a wee little lad which was 50 years ago <laughs> and then some um just kidding um so i figured you know what just make a show out of it because i like to do themes from a memory which is mm-hmm. basically you know either video game music or uh theme songs from tv shows or or whatnot and uh i'm like i'm just like you know what why do it once a year right just right l- it's it's my favorite thing to do listening to chiptune music and i just want to share my love for chiptune music with everyone yeah, yeah. So. and and i mean we we had you know some great coverage of anime themes and stuff this season and i yep. think that you know having having you showcase some of these songs is great and the themes from a memory episodes are very popular you know we usually get people that you know participate and uh and they're fun ones to revisit because you're not just hearing the same topic again you're getting to listen right. to all those songs again so it's kind of gives it a little right. bit more longevity than exactly, the average yeah. episode, which is right. fun. Yeah. Um, and to yeah. go back to the uh, the episode numbers, um, it's pretty cool. So, you know, last year, season three was a weird season. That was, of course, um, the season that uh, Joe stepped away for the summer. So our mainline episodes were less, but our right. bonus episodes were more. So this year we had in total three more episodes overall than we had in season three, seven yeah. more mainline episodes than we had last last year and we had two fewer crow's nests and three fewer brigs but still overall we were up three <laughs> from last year <laughs> right pretty cool yeah yeah i mean we we managed to to eke out a, a, you know a little bit of a win so we're always going onward and upward yeah ladies and germs if you don't know if you didn't <laughs> if you didn't think that the retro octopus podcast had tentacles we do we're going <laughs> we're going places um, i see what you did at there. least at least numerically you see what I did there? You like that? Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, so our 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 lovely, wonderful hosting uh, platform, Pinecast, uh, has a lot of different fun analytics on it, and uh, we're going to go through some of those because they're they're neat, and we yeah. like to do we like neat things. Uh, so I far- love neat things. Oh my god! You heard it here first, folks. Nintendo is a fan of neatness. Yes. Not necessarily well, so like if a, I'm a, a clean fan desk. Of it, you should be too. Right. Right. We're not talking about like tidy, like not being tidy, but neat. Like, oh man, that's so neat. Like that kind of stuff. Uh, It sounds like something that Kevin Costner would say. (laughs) You know, you know, if Kevin Costner walked in a room and saw the awesomest thing ever, he'd be like, well, that's neat. Oh, that's neat. Mm. 
darn, darn did I can, I can, I can actually, I hear him say that. Yeah. 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 No, I do too. But no one else I hear him say, I hear him say that as far as our podcast goes, the, the platform that people have used the absolute most to stream are beautiful sumptuous voices uh <laughs> is is actually amazon music of all things amazon yeah 32% music, of you are doing it right now 32.4 of streams are on amazon music yeah that is mind-blowing apple podcasts had taken it previously um maybe not last season my memory's not that good but i mean it was i, I remember being like oh yeah of course like apple podcasts right uh, but now Amazon's at 32.4%. Apple Podcasts is at 18%. Podcast Addict is at 5.3%. Overcast is 5.3%. Never even heard of that. Uh, Chrome, people using Chrome. That's that's good to know. I didn't know people did that. 4.8%. Stitcher, 3.6%. Spotify, 3.3%. And Pocket Cast is 3%. And I'm pretty sure... I am one of those because that's the that's the thing I use. Uh, <laughs> All right, okay, <laughs> rock and roll. Uh, we also have the ever fun listener location, a global map of the yes. Retroids out there, like which it. is very fun. So uh, I tried to yeah. l- narrow it down to you know just episodes from this year. So we have three thousand two hundred and fifty-five folks from USA. We have ninety-five listeners from Canada. We have 67 from Iceland. Thanks, Berker. We have 39 <laughs> from Spain. Uh, we have 24 from the UK, 12 from Germany, 11 from Norway, 8 from Brazil, 7 from Italy, 6 from Austria, uh, 6 from Israel, 6 from Japan, 5 from France, 5 from Chile, 4 from India, 4 from the Philippines, 3 from the Russian Federation. Some of, some of these have got to be bots. I, I mean, I, I, or people using VPNs. Like, I, I feel like people are using VPNs and bouncing their right. location to weird fucking places. One uh, person is not listening to us in Sri Lanka. I'm sorry. And if you are, I'm also sorry. Yep, we got, we got uh, 3 from the Netherlands, 3 from Mexico, 3 from Peru, 2 from Ireland, 2 from Iran, Islamic Republic of that's how it's written. Uh, two from Finland, two from Belgium, one from Sri Lanka, which you can't be real. One from Denmark, one from Austria, Pakistan, Puerto Rico, Argentina, and Croatia. Austria wasn't on the list twice. The first one was Australia. Just saying. Oh, I read that wrong. Yeah, so we, okay. have, we have six from Australia. Um, yeah. yeah, so I feel like people are using very colorful VPNs. I, I don't I think so. Yeah, really I don't know. believe that anyone in these countries is listening to us, but if so, that's mm. pretty damn cool. If so, thanks. Uh, Imaginary person, we appreciate you. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Uh, As far as the top episodes by plays, now this was hard to narrow down to just this season. So I did the top 10 for the last year. Uh, It had, we have episode 70, 90s toys that aren't actually from the 90s, with 75. Uh, Episode 73, Wrestling Then and Now with Dominic Perillo and George O'Connor. Very cool. Uh, 75. We have the Brig, Big Lizards, Tiger Kings, and other weird fiction with Ray oh, nice. Lansdale. Oh, hell yeah. Way to go, 68. Keith. 68 listens. Uh, we have episode 72, The Greatest Cartoon Reboots with Justin Koopa. Uh, 67 listens. Episode 75, Board Game Movie Pitch Session with the Slum Gullion. A really fun <laughs> episode. Uh, 64 listens there. Uh, episode 77, Iceland Goes Back to the Future with Lake Yedin, uh, a.k.a. Berker. Uh, 61 listens. Uh, episode 74, Blue Streak, Sonic Through the Ages with Aldo Araujo. Uh, 58 
listens episode 71 mystery meat and potatoes with randy cada yes <laughs> our second randy carter episode randy uh 50 and the first time he's mentioned on this episode yep yes absolutely keep in count keeping count uh and then episode 78 <laughs> primetime rules bedtime drools with phil conti at uh, 57. Yeah. 57 and we we reached out to all of our guests from this year. We had some fantastic guests, and we will get into that next, but we reached out to all of them personally to see if they wanted to participate with a voicemail. And I would say most of those cats that you just mentioned yeah. actually had have sent us a voicemail for tonight, so you'll actually Accurate. hear from mm-hmm. some of those people. Uh, yep. Very, very cool. We really appreciate that. Just kind of just felt like, you know, a fun way of getting it all just, just full circle, you know. Mm-hmm. These are yeah. people who participated in the season, and now they're in the season finale. And we have uh, also other retroids of you uh, who weren't in episodes also sent us some voicemails. So it's really, really going to be fun. I can't wait to get to that point. But oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, you guys are in for a treat. Lots of lots of great voicemails coming up. But before we do, let's talk about the guest hosts that we had this season. We had the most guests this season of any season. Yeah, we had we had twelve guests uh guest hosts guest hosts so, so that's the same hosts. on a main episode yes not just a break exactly. or something right and we did that going all the way back to season one because our very first guest host ever were uh, actually patsy and ashes from the throat on thursday podcast they came on and did, yeah did an episode about girly girl cartoons and yeah, girl power cartoons that yep. were from the 80s and stuff and we uh we we had fun with that and then we you know we had a couple here or there but it really wasn't until the pandemic hit that we were forced to learn like zoom and do everything remotely because we used to always record in one room so yeah. season one and i think season two as well we were just in the studio we had we all were together recording in one room but once we learned zoom because of the pandemic and we were kind of forced to that sort of opened the floodgates and we were able to have all these people on. So we're like, all right, well maybe we still want to have people that are going to be like interviewed quote unquote, that have something to promote. Like they are working on a book, a movie, uh, an album, you know, or a podcast, you know, something like that, that they want to talk about their thing and let's put them in the brig. But that doesn't mean we can't have our friends over and uh, like, come, come over, want to come over and we'll, we'll play guys. Well, it's basically like we'll play guys together. And that's what we did uh, this season. We had lots of just friends from all over the country and all over the world, actually. Um, And uh, they got to just be in a mainline episode and like be a co-host. So, yeah, very, very fun. Twelve, twelve co-hosts for a while there. It was like every episode, like through the spring and summer. Oh, my God. We were doing it like every single episode for the longest time. Right. We had a we had a rotating host uh, schedule, not just in who's hosting it primarily, but who's also the guest host. Right. Um, yeah. So let's just go through those real quick. We had Randy Carter on the school lunches episode. We had Justin Cooper on cartoon reboots. We had Dominic Perillo and George O'Connor for wrestling. And then Aldo Arajo on Sonic. Uh, yes. And Tenjo, take it away. Sure. Uh, we also had Scott Clevenger and Jeff Holland on the board games episode. And my bae, Sean 8BitGlitch79 Costello on the Video Game Boss Battles episode. Mark Oldman Wade Lynch on the Moonlight episode. And, of course, Phil Conti, Primetime Shows. Yes. And Phil was uh, Phil. Phil has been a loyal listener ever since we started this. And uh, just a really great guy, really good friend. And uh, right. 
very it's cool. Awesome. It's awesome to finally have him on the show. Exactly. Right. Exactly. We're like, it okay, took us four it, years, but it finally happened. Right. Exactly. And Phil's not a podcast or anything like that. So, he, you know, I, I don't know if he'd been on a podcast before, but he did a great job. <laughs> no, I think, I think our episode was his very was first it? one. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was like yeah, super so, nervous about it. And, and, you know, he, yeah, he did a great job. You did a great job, Phil. So that was, that was a fun episode. We watched a ton of uh, old primetime shows that we were, you know, probably too young for when we watched them when we were a kid and we should have been in bed, but we stayed up and watched them. And for the that episode, we did a bunch of research and you got to watch a lot of the old episodes. And it was just really, really fun. Um, we also had uh, to round it out. These are all in order, by the way, of their appearance of this chronologically we also had gwendolyn gwen ninja troll on our beast wars transformers episode which was a popular episode uh and our buddy from iceland making us officially uh international we had <laughs> lake yarn fanar on our back to the future episode that was his favorite movie trilogy of all time and uh he uh he just could gush upon any of those movies for hours and hours, but we uh, we somehow crammed it all into one episode. It was really fun. Also had our friend Danny Drury. I I have been friends with Danny for ever and ever and ever since high school. Joe and I uh, in Meat Space, and she is just uh, she was a professional poker dealer for like ever, and she also like just is a hobbyist like big time with card games. So we're like, let's have Danny come on and do an episode on card games. So that's what we did. We had a playing card episode. We talked about Magic the Gathering. We talked about poker and real card games. You know, actual you know you go to a casino and play them and that, that kind of hey, thing. Games. table games we talked about Yu-Gi-Oh! we talked about pokemon we talked about lots of stuff it was a really fun episode and our final guest of this season was rich velvet joker davis uh from splash pages and uh rich sent us a voicemail tonight you'll hear from him later and you'll hear his crazy maniacal laugh um and we did an episode on hanna-barbera cartoons this was actually uh our second episode with this topic and as we are in our fourth season going into our fifth season we're kind of finding it fun to go back to previous topics um that you know that we talked about four three or four years ago and just yeah. like going okay same topic let's pick different things and you can actually double dip that that topic and come up with another interesting episode because let's Let's be real. We're not making new nostalgia here. Like, you know, right, there's, a, right. there's a finite amount of old shit that we used to like as kids. So, you know, it's just how, how it goes. But that was a great episode. He uh, he came up with a theme and we're like, yeah, you know, we already did that, but that would be really fun. So and it was really fun. So yeah. Yeah, yep. very, very cool. Thanks. Thanks, everybody who came on the Retro Ductibus show this season and helped to make it as special as I feel it was. I hope you listeners enjoyed it as well and thought it was special. <laughs> but thanks, everybody. Yeah, thanks a lot, yes. everybody. Very, very fun special season for us. Uh, thanks to you. Uh, so yeah. now we're going to go into uh, some of our personal thoughts about different uh, different episodes and different things. We're going to kind of go through some some self-reflecting questions and, and, and you know maybe just get a little introspective about what we did yeah. this season. So we're going to start off with what was your favorite episode that you did not host? And we're going to start with Nintendo. Sure. Um, so my favorite episode that I did not host would have to be the board games, board game movie pitch session with the slum gullion. Yes. Uh, with Great Scott Sumner and Jeff Holland. And what I loved about that episode was, I mean, for me personally, I loved the, the creative process of 
taking a already existing board game and just turning it into a movie. And I just, me being a no sick minded, no, I had to turn a simple, lovable child's board game into a horror slasher musical movie. <laughs> I believe you said the genre that you invented was revenge musical. <laughs> oh yes, okay, yes, that that's what I call it, revenge musical. Yes. So I, I just, I just. The I mean, we all came up with with awesome ideas, and I I just for me I just thought that was more fun. Like, I never get to be that creative. I like to be creative, but I'm just not not to that extent. And right, it right. was just it was just fun and different, and I, it, I was. Know, it was just so good. I loved it. It was super different, and that yeah. was that was their idea. You know, we had we had wanted to have them on for a couple of seasons at this point. Um, so the Slum Gullion is just. You know, you, you latch on to these little shows like Retro or Octopus. I don't know if you guys uh, know anything about that. But, uh, you know, one of my little shows that I just listen to every episode of is, is The Slum Gully. And I've just, I'm just a fan of it. And it's these, these two dudes and they talk movies and they, they sometimes have guests. And I don't know, I just, I just got to really like them and uh, befriended them uh, some years ago. And I, uh, I've been on their show a couple of times. And it's like, all right, guys, I want you to come on the show. What are we going to do? And uh, it was between the two of them, they came up with the idea that it's like, all right, let's have like, let's pitch fake movies, movies that never were based on board games and do like, you know, we're saying like, like Clue, but do it with other movies. And how would you do it? So, yeah, that was really fun. And Joe, I have to say yours was my favorite. So <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Joe, yours. So Joe's was <laughs> Joe's did it on Mousetrap. He turned Mousetrap yeah. into an animated a disney you said it had to be a disney movie and yeah. it was uh it had to be like 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 uh like if it was like a if it was a disney movie it had to be like a, a musical type of thing right a but, musical disney cartoon that was like kind of like saw <laughs> yes yeah it was yeah that that one was so good uh I, I loved it but yeah they were all everybody did an amazing job um uh that was that was a fun episode for sure yeah yeah, of course, our, sure. the, our, of course the the uh, the guest hosts were just phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd love to have them back on too. There's got to be some other. I think now we're pigeonholed, and and when we have them back on, it's got to be another creative thing. Yes, it has yeah, to be I like agree. whatever yeah. it is. I think we all we have to keep that through line. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Um. All right, so I went with uh, the 90s toys that aren't actually from the 90s. I thought that episode oh, nice. was super interesting. Uh, I think it's crazy how many things we assume were from the, the era that we discovered them in, but it's all relative, you know? I mean, there's tons of these toys were, were out and about for a very long time beforehand, and, you know, you just, you just don't realize it. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that episode went over really well and was just super interesting to go through. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I liked that one a lot. That was another one that the research was really fun because it was just fascinating. Mm. Yes. It's like, wow, you know, you assume everything that came out when you were a kid came out when you were a kid. And right. it's, uh, it just keep a lot of these things just keep getting re-released every decade. Right. And you don't realize that was the fifth release, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. When did they yeah. first release this? It's like, you know, they don't, because when they re-release things, they don't tend to say it's a re-release. They're like, you know, new, blah, blah. 
Right, exactly. They act like it's it's brand new. Actually, Unless just it's the McRib, you know, the McRib. They're like it's back, <laughs> but everything else, they're like, oh, you know, sock and bumpers, brand new. Never. They're like, oh, the the McRib, same great taste because it's the same meat we used back in the seventies. We it's the same batch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. But uh, yeah, like Mousetrap, just taking that as an example, you know, I I cannot think of a game that feels more eighties, and it came out in the sixties. Right. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, okay, uh, Parasite Steve, what was your pick? So my pick is episode 80, Vehicles, Characters That Drive Us. Um, I loved this episode. This was an 8-bit alchemy episode. And um, I really just had such frigging fun um, figuring out which which ones to pick. So the idea was that, you know, if you're going to pick, if you're, you're thinking of a show that has a really iconic vehicle that almost feels like it's a character. You know, like the Ecto-1 from Ghostbusters. You can't think about Ghostbusters without Ecto-1. There's, you know, Knight Rider, the night, you know, kit from Knight Rider. Like lots of lots of stuff like that. Um, and so we separated the episode into live action and then cartoons. So we run, went around the the table a couple of times each and it was it was just so incredibly fun and that was also the episode that spawned probably my favorite bonus episode which was the batmobile episode oh, because yeah. we said let's let's hold off on the batmobile because there are just so many versions of it yeah that it sort of needs its own space to be able to let's just it would all, almost be a waste to pick that as one of the picks it's like yeah no, no other geek vehicle can hold up to the batmobile um so we did a crow's nest on just the Batmobile. And I I love that episode. We went through all the Batmobiles of, of the years, starting with the original comics back in the late 30s. It was like 1938, if I'm remembering correctly. And the original Batmobile was red, and it was just a car. And then we went all the way up and through the movies and the cartoons and stuff, and that was really a good time, too. So that was a good twofer. I, I think we did that a couple of times this season, where we really used... <laughs> We did it once or twice last season too, yeah. where we used the crow's nest to supplement whatever the mainline episode was. I think that actually, I think that concept goes back to an early, even maybe season two, because I remember we did a Ghostbusters episode, and then Eight Bit, you did a supplemental crow's nest that was about the uh, the uh, when they go down and they find the pink slime. What was that called? That underground transit. Yeah, so it was yeah the um, the pneumatic. Dematic system that was uh, right. Yeah. yeah, it was in one, you know one one scene of Ghostbusters too, but it was actually you know right. a, a real historical a real failed thing. thing that was yeah. yeah. I, I like when when a crow's nest can can tie in and yeah, that really mm-hmm. enhances it and gives you more of a reason to listen to the yeah. crow's nest and you know just companion piece kind of thing. But it worked great to do the Batmobile. Right, and we get, perfect candidate. There's just too many. Yeah, it would have taken up half the episode on its own. Right, exactly. So, like, we we spent an hour talking about the Batmobile on its own. So we didn't yeah. ha- we didn't need to tack on that hour into the other episode. But exactly. that was really fun. So yeah, no, I I was a kind of a twofer, but yeah, vehicles, mm-hmm. uh, characters that drive us was nice. Was oh, very cool. I'm glad that one went over well. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, what mainline episode do we think deserves more listens than it has? I'll go first. Uh, I think that free toy inside the bygone age of cereal box prizes deserves more <laughs> listens. That episode is surprisingly solid. It's very 
stupid to just be like you're talking about <laughs> cereal box box toys for a whole episode but it's like no but you know us we're stupid like this is what we do we actually were able to talk about like some pretty crazy cool <laughs> stuff that used to come with cereal boxes that don't yeah. don't get that at all these days <laughs> at all yeah. uh and i and that just did not get a ton of listens and i mean you know i mean got it got fine you know maybe on par but i, I think it deserves like a, a shot if, if it's one that you've passed over definitely give it a give it a check out uh parasite steve what'd you pick uh i picked one of my episodes i picked glow in the dark toys and how they work this was one that we did for the halloween season we did three halloween episodes this year and this was like probably the least spooky of them, but I just thought it was like, you know, we talked about Halloween time and, and uh, stuff in there and like, you know, different things that use glow in the dark technology. We talked about the history of it and how it works and how there are different kinds and, and uh, you know, you know, a glow stick versus like a plastic toy that glows, you know, like what's the difference? Right. Like how do they work and all that stuff. And I don't know, I was actually pretty proud of this episode. And I, I think that a decent amount of, um interesting information was was uh given out in there and we also talked about just various toys that we remember that glowed in the dark and uh i don't know i thought it was a pretty fun episode i really had fun doing it and i had fun doing the research um but yeah no it doesn't have too many listens so i i don't know i thought it was gonna be a slam dunk around halloween time and i I guess i just misjudged that but (laughs) i think it deserves i think it deserves more listens than it has so uh i would say uh i would say give glow in the dark toys and how they work a listen if you uh if you are interested nice yep totally agree it was a great episode and i I like learning about how all the different glow in the dark mechanisms worked and whatnot um all right Nintendo, what'd you pick, guy? Yeah, so uh, I too picked my own episode. Uh, <laughs> Hong Kong. <laughs> um, that would be episode 82, Themes from a Memory 4 Anime Edition. Um, I was actually really surprised because I always felt that uh, this series had or always had like a decent amount of listens, especially last year's, which got like like over 160 listens and mm-hmm. this year like it didn't even crack 50 so i was just like well, according to uh my statistics that i have on my phone um i was just really surprised and i thought it was a really good episode because we never cover anime like hardly ever on the show and i know we have a lot of fans or friends that are huge into anime and uh, i don't know i just figured it would have gotten at least more listens than what it has now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's sometimes I mean, it's like, it's funny how wrong you can be. You're like, Oh, I think this topic's going to be a slam dunk. And then other times like random, uh, random ass old episodes have gotten so many listens that I'm like, Oh my God, I, I didn't think anybody would care about this. Is I, I remember our adventure Island episode last year had like a stupid oh, yeah. amount of listens. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it was like 168 or something crazy, or 150. It's like Jesus Christ, man! People like adventure. Who knew? Yeah, yeah. So we had the the the, yeah the crow's nest. The uh, greetings from Adventure Island had like 142 listens. (laughs) Okay, this is Adventure Island. Yep. I guess people like their Adventure Islands. I don't know. They do. They do. All right. Cool. Uh, Moving on. What episode did we? in uh, most enjoyed doing the research for parasite steve let's start with you um so i picked battling like a boss with 8-bit glitch 79 um, that's a fun one 
that was that was definitely one of my favorite episodes of the season. Yeah. Uh, you know, boss battles are one of my favorite all time things in all video games. And it was just preposterously fun coming up with them. And I liked what we, the way that we structured the episode was, uh, so this was a, a Nintendo episode. And um, it was like the first half, we each only picked one thing, but we had like pretty long presentations. Yes. And the, the thing that we picked in that case was a series bad guy of a video game series that was really like in a lot of different games. So for instance, like Bowser from Super Mario, that's who uh, uh, 8-Bit Glitch picked. Yeah. And, um, and it's like, okay, well, Bowser's in like 20 games. And so we, we went down the list and like, let's talk about the, the various appearances and like what we remember. And, and so each presentation lasted like quite a bit. And so we each only picked one thing. And then in the second half, we had three picks each, but they were shorter presentations. And we just mm -hmm. kind of ran down our lists of three. But those were bosses that just stuck with us personally. Like it may, may have been a boss that was only in one game and that's it. And it may be even a boss that nobody else really talks about or remembers or anything. But for some reason, it just really was a memorable experience for us personally. So uh, the first half, you get all the classics. You get four like big, huge classic uh, like characters that everybody's going to know. And then the second half, some of them are ones you're going to know, and other ones are maybe things that you never played that game and you have no idea who that character is. And and really, this is another topic I feel like we could go back to because oh, yeah. there are just I mean, there's just so yeah. freaking many. Yeah, this, this is a inf almost infinite well that we could be, you know. Yeah, I would be happy to go back and do another boss battling episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was really, really fun. And there are just so freaking many. I mean, my God, right. it, we, didn't, we didn't do Ganon. We didn't do Dr. Wily. You know, I mean, it's oh, like, yeah, yeah there's. there's no, a, I think, I think we figured that those would be like the obvious well, we went and we, well, we, we to like Bowser this. was there, but like yeah, Bowser, Bowser was there, but I mean, all obvious ones, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Sean was the only one that picked the like one of the more obvious ones, but um, I, think I think you did Robotnik, so did I but, do Robotnik? So, yeah, oh, oh yeah, yeah the right. first the first half was all pretty obvious, but like the second half is where we did the the weird stuff, and that was that was just really fun. I, I, yeah. I don't know. And I, I think we did we play music for that one? I think we played yes, music, we did, and, we did yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we did. Yep. Right. So and you, like did... a, you know, unofficial themes from memory. Yeah. Right. Okay. For the Octoponder. I think that's what we did. I think we said the Octoponder was pick your favorite bo boss battle music. Boss battle music. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's what it was. Right. All right. Nice. That was fun too. Very yeah. fun. Um, Nintendo, what about you? Yeah. So I'm going to go back to my uh, very first pick of the episode, which is board game movie sessions. Um, I don't know. I just, I just love doing this episode and doing the research for the game was just a lot of fun. I, I mean, I played the game a lot when I was younger, but not a whole lot in my adult life. So like going back and like just checking out like how, how the, the game works properly. Cause the way how I would play was I would just build everything at once and then just, and then just, you know, move the mouse no yeah, whatever you played it with it like it was 
poi. You didn't play the by the play rules. Set. Yeah, I didn't play yeah. by the rules. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I still don't play by the rules. Uh, <laughs> hashtag too cool for rules. <laughs> too cool for rules. <laughs> hashtag uh, like Jack Bauer in that way. <laughs> right. Um, so going back and doing research for that for that game i just thought it was really interesting and like well what if i you know did it properly and just have these characters who are supposed to be uh uh the 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 captured people and they're just you know building their building the traps that will eventually kill them yeah, it's dark. yeah, I just I just thought that was like a neat little twist. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, nice. Cool. Yeah, for sure. It was that was a that was a very fun one to think about. It probably required the most critical thinking of any episode uh, yeah. that we've done. You know, not just research, but actually <laughs> designing it. Um, for those of you who don't know, Nintendo is recovering from COVID. He's coughing yes. because because he is he's on the mend we had to have delay this episode once so yes. for, forgive coughed now forgive the frequent coughing <laughs> um so i chose for for my favorite research uh it was episode 79 beast wars transformers with oh Gwen my god Asia. yeah uh and literally it boils down to this i haven't watched beast wars in like 20 years and turns out i still really freaking like beast wars so it's fun yeah sitting down I, 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 and watching 25 episodes of beast wars on on youtube was like um why haven't i done this sooner uh, like, <laughs> right. I, I mean going like i mean going back to, you know, to watch that episode after x amount of years and just being blown away at how well it's the you know stood the test of time is like it still holds up today the writing like, and the acting the, have aged very yes. well the graphics yes. I mean, sure the, the, the cgi no but yeah the story and the characters and everything were just yeah excuse me top notch and you get into it like you get into the art style and you stop thinking about it you know the first few episodes it's jarring but you just get into it and all the actors all of the dialogue the stories the plot the you know the characters that go from one side to another it's like it's really well done and i just genuinely loved watching the show again so i i definitely i picked that as my favorite research prep work i like the episode was finished and i'm like man now i don't have an excuse to watch season two like (laughs) i was just like i I just gotta watch the net like i gotta be on to whatever the next thing we're doing is but um yeah really really loved that yeah so uh the final question we're gonna cover is what bonus episode of yours was the most challenging to pull off slash are you the most proud of parasite steve um so i'm gonna go with uh a brig Mm. and it's uh the first i believe it was the first brig we did this year and that is big lizards tiger kings and other weird fiction with writer keith lansdale and this was a really fun episode because um it well so it was challenging i should say okay it was fun but so that was just that was only me you guys couldn't make it that night and that happens sometimes the briggs like sometimes it's one of us sometimes it's two of us sometimes it's three of us and we sort of just don't make a big deal out of it like right if you're right. interested in the guest cool if not no big deal or if you can make it cool if you can't no big deal we sort of just don't worry about it with uh both the crow's nests and the briggs you're not necessarily going to get all three of us hosting um and we just keep it loosey-goosey and it's it's fun it's a fun way to like supplement anyway because it helps schedule sometimes sometimes we've done that just because it's like one person can't i remember we did that we did a mario paint episode because at the last second 8-bit couldn't get out of work in time and you were just stuck 
and right. we had to record an episode because it had to come out the next day. So Joe and I were like, uh, let's just do a crow's nest real quick. <laughs> you know, and that just was nice having that flexibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so in this particular episode, it was just, uh, it was just me and Keith and Keith is the son of, uh, you know, pretty famous dude, Mr. Joe R. Lansdale, uh, who is pretty much, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite top two living writers, him and Neil Gaiman, I would say. Um, and, uh, and he is, uh, he's just a nice guy. I got to talking to online because he was selling this book, uh, called big lizard. And it would looked really funny and it looked cool and had great artwork. And it's this, uh, he wrote it with his dad and, and I'm like, hell yeah, I want this is, you know, Keith was selling these cause, uh, he had a bunch of leftover because he was going to do shows in the pandemic and then, you know, didn't get to do that. So he's like, Hey guys, I'll send, send you signed copies if you want. So anyway, so it just sort of led to us opening a dialogue and, and it was challenging because, uh, I, the, the scheduling was a nightmare. Uh, He's very busy. And at the time I was on vacation when I started to talk to him and we were like going back and forth for like, I don't know, three or four months. It was, it was quite a while before we finally got to have him on. And I remember it was actually supposed to be part of the previous season. It was supposed to like end season uh, two, I guess, or end season three. And then it just, it's just like, it took so long that it ended up being uh, the beginning of season four. And, uh, you know, I, I was just nervous. I was, you know, you know, hope, you know, I'm like, Oh, you know, right. His dad's my, like one of my freaking heroes and, and everything. And, and it was, it was really just a fun conversation. He's a very chill dude. We, uh, you know, he shared some great stories in that, uh, that interview. He, you know, he talks about Bubba Hotep and being on the set with Bruce Campbell. He, talks about uh the time that he met the tiger king uh just as a person just no no nothing related to anything you know book wise or anything like that he was just he just went there like before the guy had a show and he met the guy and he said he was like way weirder than the show lets on and it's way stranger and he told this hilarious uh tiger king story it's just awesome so, uh, and you know, we got to talk about his book, big lizard and projects that he had in the works and such. So yeah, uh, that was, that was a challenge. It was nerve wracking, but I was, uh, very happy that it all came together and all the schedules cleared up. And, uh, Keith was nice enough to leave us a voicemail for tonight as well. So you're going to hear from him later. So, oh, excellent. Uh, yeah, very, very cool. But yeah, very... no, that was, that was a good one. I'm proud of that one. Yeah, you should be. That's, that's an awesome one to do. It's a big, you know, notch in the belt and just, uh, you know big yeah. big person to be talking to so i imagine it was challenging um it's cool yeah nintendo what about you okay so i didn't have a bunch of bonus episodes this season um but the one i did do and that i picked was the recent crow's nest 26 with jason david frank the forever green episode mm-hmm. um the reason why it was really challenging was because um that was like our the the second like the big death of celebrities that we grew up watching or listening to and um and the way how jason david frank passed away it was just it was just like a a tough topic to talk about in general because no my my own mental state and uh but you know i felt like no it no he need to be celebrated and i need to get you know, share some of my experiences and also, you know, tell people, you know, you have 
the tools that you know that to help you. You know, there's this number here that you can call, and you know your life is worth living, and, and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And so, I mean, I, that, that's why I, I picked. Sure. Yeah, it's a hard one. topic. It's, yeah, it's, it's, tough it's, to talk it's, about. A, it's a very serious topic, and it's like, no, I'm not a very serious person at all, but I take this very seriously. Right. So that's my pick. Nice. Yeah, nope, definitely. Not always going to be goofy and, and stuff around here, you know, but we want to remember the people that are important to us. And a big part of that is, is you know, talking about what happened to them. So, you know, it was, it was tough to talk about, but I'm glad you chose that. And, <laughs> uh, and you know, that's, that's part of it. It's not always easy, yeah. but hey, this is what we do. We're on it. We're out here. We talking. And talking right. ain't always easy. Um, yeah, our, our previous two episodes before this one, the episodes that ended the season were both sad episodes that were, you know, we're, we're celebrating the lives of two people that, that we lost within a week. Yeah. Like, yeah it was it, right. just a, within eight days. Bad, like, it, it's insane. Yeah. Yep. All, all around just, you know, unfortunate end, uh, you know, of the year. But hey, uh, we move on. We think about them in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, so uh, I'm going to end this section off here before we uh, go listen to some amazing voicemails. Good Lord, you have like 20 to 25 minutes of joy ahead of you. Um, so I, I went with uh, the episode Knock Knock Anyone Sweet Home. This is Crow's Nest 24. Um, now, I don't technically think this was my um, Crow's Nest. I think it was technically Parasite mm. but I, I could be wrong. But it either way, okay, okay, so it was mine, but but so this was really challenging because we, you know, we had been having this format of let's talk about an old Nintendo game and let's let's play through it first. And then we can talk about it and then, you know, kind of honestly give our our thoughts and feelings on it and stuff. And so with the Knock Knock Anyone Sweet Home episode, we were playing through, you know, Sweet Home for the Nintendo, which is an old role playing game. And, you know, uh, if any of you have played RPGs from older systems, they can be a bit taxing. They're they're not like, you know, always the most fun thing ever to play. Now, this game was was really fun, but it was a pretty hard game. And it definitely took a lot for us to to play all the way through it. Yeah, and, I think you know, we, I think it took us three sets. Yeah, like, three, three sets of like things. a good amount of hours like i think maybe four or five hours like for the first two sessions and then the last one was maybe a few after. yeah the, yeah the last was quicker yeah Surely, but yeah but we, it was like we we really sunk yeah. some time into that and we did most of it like absolutely above board that was like we were trying to do like not right. cheat our way through it not like save yep. and load all over the place not like look at on yep. the internet every time we were lost now we did cheat a couple of times we right we, we looked did. up but you know we looked up walkthroughs here and there where we were you know really Near getting the stuck but really, we got through like 90% of the we game did. without really we needing did. it. We did um, a lot by ourselves, yeah. So so I was I was, you know, really happy and proud that the game was able to be played that well, mm-hmm. you know, today, but also to want to talk about this so bad. It's like, oh, we really want to play through it. We want to beat it. So I, I actually thought that this was was, you know, one of the most challenging ones to pull off just because of of the commitment damn it, that we had to actually playing through uh, the whole game before we talk about it, which, you know, yeah. isn't necessarily always the case. We gave up on the adventure of Link because that game kind of sucks. But uh, We gave home. up on a lot. Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, we did. I gave up on Crystallis. You beat it. 
I uh, I did. It wasn't joyful though. It was yeah. just like <laughs> I was just doing it. And um, then we both gave up on Fazanadu uh, and Battle I mean, of Olympus. Well, Crystallis was interesting because you and I both played that independently. That was one of the ones that we just like we played that independently and and Adventure of Link. Um, but Fazanadu, we we like sat down together and yes, um, in Sweet Home we sat down together. So yeah, um, I don't know. I think those crow's nests are a lot of fun. You know, obviously, I agree. Go through an old game, and and then we get to talk about it, and it's just uh, it's a great format that I enjoy a lot. Absolutely, and if guys, if if you have heard those episodes and you liked them at all, and have uh, interest in us reviewing an old NES game or Genesis or Super Nintendo, I think those are probably mm-hmm. the uh, those are the systems that we're probably most interested in. Right, we're happy to do that. Just let us know. You know, uh, email yep. us or you know come at us in the group or whatever you want. If, if you have some suggestions, we would love to do that. We did. We took one suggestion uh, for season three, I think it was. And that was from Bobby Knipe Jr. Our buddy asked us to play uh, Clash, Clash of Demon, Demon, Demon Head. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which I, is really I, fun. I low-key loved that. I loved yeah. that playthrough. I love Tom Guycott. He's yeah, <laughs> Tom Guycott. He's my fucking guy. So he's my guy. Yes. So yeah, that was a great <laughs> suggestion. We we had a great time, and yes, uh, you know, if did. if you guys have suggestions, really would love to hear that about any kind of crow's disc, but especially that. You know, the retro games are fun. We we have yeah yeah totally. Um, all right. So that's part one. Part one in in the can, ladies and germs. Uh, oh, we're, so- we're like going so fast. Oh my god, we're flying! You know, it's like, geez, we've only been talking for five minutes, clearly. Um, but we have so many amazing voicemails to play for you. Uh, and and just to give you some context, we basically just what we are going to be talking about in part two of the episode the the single classic movie that you've heard about forever but only saw recently, or yada yada. You know, your thoughts on it. Uh, that is what we we you know the question we posed to everybody. So you know, no one's going to repeat the question necessarily. Um, and these are going to be all sorts of, of retroids. Uh, you know who you are um, from from our Facebook group and from you know guests that we've had on and all sorts of stuff like that. So we really can't wait uh, for you to hear them. Uh, and yeah, I think I think without further ado, let's let's get into that, and then we will talk about uh, that a little bit before we dive into our picks for this here subject matter. So thank you everyone so much, and uh, enjoy the voicemails. What is up, Nintendo, Parasite Steve, and 8-Bit Alchemy? This is Adam Laterno from He Said, She Said, checking in. First, wanted to wish you all a happy holidays. Uh, it's been a great season and awesome to be listening to you guys all the way through. So thanks for all you do and all the podcasts that you're putting out. In terms of classic movie that I feel like so many people have seen and I have not, and I just got around to watching it tonight... I picked the movie Elf, starring Will Ferrell, and uh, yeah, a bunch of other people. Um, James Caan, Mary Steenburgen, and Zoe Deschanel. I'll be quick. Uh, I I didn't love it. Um, I know a lot of people think it's really funny and think it's a great Christmas movie, but I wasn't a huge fan. I kind of thought Will Ferrell was just kind of his usual self, and the story was decent, but kind of weird and convoluted. I don't know. Maybe I gotta watch it a couple more times. Maybe I'm just being a Scrooge, but it, it didn't quite hit me the way that I feel like it hits other people as a kind of classic Christmas movie at this point. 
But that being said, um, it was really good to get a chance to see a movie that I have never seen before. Glad I got a chance to uh, record this kind of under the wire. It's been kind of a crazy couple weeks, so thank you guys for um, taking this in. And uh, once again, have a great holiday, uh, great new year, and can't wait for season five. Take care, gents. Hello, my favorite cephalopals. It's Ashes from the Throwdown Thursday podcast. Earlier this year, I viewed 2004 Sideways, starring Paul Giamatti, Thomas Hayden Church, Virginia Madsen, and Sandra Oh. Now, I know what you're thinking. Really, Queen? You of all people hadn't seen the wine movie? Yeah, I know. But I did it, and I've watched it a couple of times since then. It's really good. So often we see romantic comedies from the female protagonist's point of view. It was rather refreshing to see such vulnerability written from the male perspective. Paul Giamatti isn't typical rom-com leading man material. There's an approachable quality to him that makes you want to root for him. The dialogue is organic, imperfect, and beautifully written. Conversations volley back and forth in a natural yet enjoyable way. There is this one scene in particular where Miles, played by Mr. Giamatti, and Maya, played by Miss Madsen, are sitting on a porch with wine in hand, discussing their love for wine, from the history of the soil that the grapes are grown in, to the care and craftsmanship of the vintners. This discourse is so passionate, delicious, and satisfying that I couldn't help but want a cigarette when it was over. I actually had the opportunity to meet Mr. Alexander Payne, who wrote and directed this film at a party a few months back, and told him just that. He said it was one of the best compliments he'd ever received. Just like your favorite vintage, this film is delightful on the palate, full-bodied with unexpected notes of warmth and joy in contrast with heartache and the human condition, and a lingering taste of hope that leaves you craving the next sip. Congratulations, guys, on another fabulous season. Cheers to the next. So I was approximately 32 years old the first time I saw the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Now, I didn't enjoy it. I love musicals. I had a great time. The show is the movie, man. The time was amazing, and the story leading up to me seeing this movie, a lot more interesting than the movie itself. I thought it was a fun rock musical, um, but I had already seen so many in my life that it wasn't a novelty that it probably was when a lot of my friends saw it, and they were all a little bit older than me. And they were aghast when they found out that I had not ever seen this movie, uh, which led to about a half-hour performance. And then... <laughs> Um, then a, a mission, a, a mission that took a whole summer, uh, where my friends, uh, hunted down, uh, where Rocky Horror Picture Show was playing, and, um, I think I ended up going several times, and was, I, I think I ended up going five times that summer with the guys, and then each time, however, they put the virgin tag on me. And uh, I got treated as such, as you know. Um, I still have uh, toast crumbs in my hair. 
But yeah, that's the uh, that that's my movie. Hey guys, um, one of the films that I saw for the first time this year that I really enjoyed is Sky High. I don't really remember when it came out in theaters, and I might have been too old to see it at the time. But um, watched it on Disney Plus beginning of this year and really enjoyed it. Um, it is parts of it is dated, but I thought it was a pretty good film, and I, I kind of hate that I didn't see it when I was younger. Oh yeah, um, I want to suggest a film that not many people have probably seen called The Duelist, and it's Ridley Scott's first film. Um, it's set in Napoleonic France, and um, yeah, I just I actually have it on Shout Factory um, DVD or whatever. And um, I don't know if it's in print right now, but that's one older film that I really enjoyed that I want to suggest to people to watch. Um, I hope you all have a happy new year and Merry Christmas. Evil Corny out. Hey guys, a retro octopus. It's James Lamond from It Came From The 508 Productions. And I recently had the um, quote unquote pleasure of watching the supposed greatest film ever made Citizen Kane for the first time. Um, I can definitely tell you why I avoided it for so long, because anything that was called the greatest, I have misgivings and questions as to why it's called the greatest. And I have to say, Citizen Kane, not exactly what I would consider the greatest film ever made. I mean, maybe of its time, but it is incredibly dated in today's landscape. And I feel like, for the most part, it was very boring. Um, the story itself was interesting, but the shooting and the things and the everything else was so static that it just did not interest me enough and it just did not hold me in any way, shape, or form. I actually fell asleep three times trying to get through it. So, yes, um, as far as classic films go, I gotta give uh, the old Citizen Kane the big old thumbs down. It may have had its time, but that time is definitely gone. Hey, Retro Octopus, this is your old pal Coop. I just wanted to tell you that uh, the movie that I had always wanted to see and never just kind of came across was... Uh, Terry Gilliam's Brazil from 1985. So um, I actually just recently watched this, probably about two days ago. Or so I was uh, I was kind of intrigued because of the, the the way it was portrayed. I saw it actually portrayed as a Christmas movie. And I'm like, what? I was not sure about that, but um, I'm a big fan of Terry Gilliam stuff, especially from Monty Python, and I love the absurdity in which he shows things, and it definitely shows through in this film. It's um, it's got some really, like, nightmarish qualities to it, and uh, it's a good kind of uh, starting point for his uh, his directorial uh, process, kind of the way that he goes. And you can see how he progresses from there into, like, some of his later works, like Twelve Monkeys and then Don Quixote and all that. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool, but my choice is Brazil. So uh, if you get a chance to check it out, you know, um, it's, it's an old movie. Robert De Niro's in it. Uh, Jonathan Price is the main character, and uh, Ian Holm, Bob Hoskins, Catherine, uh, what's it, uh, Catherine uh, Hellmond from Soap, and who's the boss? She played Mona, but uh, it's it's pretty cool. It's super out there. Michael Palin from Monty Python's in it. I would highly recommend it. So I would say check that out, guys. All right, thanks. Your old pal Coop, signing off. 
Hello everybody, this is Keith Lansdale and I am putting in an installment here of my take on some classic movie that I have recently seen. And I do actually have the perfect candidate. I have just now finally gotten around to watching Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Wearing and Love the Bomb. Uh, what a wild ride this is. And I do mean that pun for those of you that have seen it, and probably everybody has. I feel like I was the very last person. Uh, Peter Sellers is great in this movie times three. The fact that he is playing three of the most iconic characters in this, uh, boy, they really got their money's worth out of him. Uh, but it is something that I am glad I finally got around to watching. It is not a feel-good movie of the year. It's a little unsettling in some ways. Um, the fact that it's 19, what was it, 1964, and there's still some of that tension that's going on even today is even more terrifying. But I do have to say, if you haven't seen it, it is worth the watch. It is something that... You're, you're not going to see another one like it. That is for absolute sure. So, either way, I hope everybody's enjoying their time, and I hope everybody's enjoying their movies. Hi, my name is Marie Wood. I'm the author of the Realm Trilogy, Crescendo, The Promise Keeper, and Telecommuting. Somehow, it took me forever to see The Mummy. And I mean the 1932 mummy with Boris Koloff. And <laughs> I loved it, right? I absolutely loved that whole scene where he takes so long to unfold himself and open his eyes and like see the world again. I don't know what took me so long to watch that movie, but it definitely took me forever and ever. <laughs> and now I'm a huge fan. Good day, Retro or Doctopus team. I am Nick Pericles, and I recently saw the classic 1999 David Lynch film, The Straight Story. This absolute work of art is about a man who rides his lawnmower to see his brother. To say this movie is slow is an understatement. The real way to watch this movie is at one quarter speed, giving you a sense of how fast traveling via ride-on lawnmower can be on the road. This biographical drama is for you if you want to see how a complex tale of guilt can propel a man five miles an hour across 240 miles. You, the viewer, get to experience actor Richard Farnsworth's final role. Yes, the same actor from Vestron's 1985 film Space Rage, with portrayals of camping, hitchhiking, gunplay, landline phone use, unresolved World War II PTSD, a John Deere dealership, alcohol consumption, and an ending that ties up the whole plot. All this wrapped up in a G-rated movie. If you enjoy watching paint dry, this movie is for you. Thank you all for four seasons of this goofy program. Here is hoping for many more. Greetings, Retroids. I'm here to talk about a movie I haven't seen in about 30 years, but I rewatched it recently and I still loved it. The movie had everything robots, a princess, pirates, aliens, an all star cast, and spacer bees. I'm talking, of course, about 1984's Ice Pirates, starring Robert Urich, Michael D. Roberts, Mary Crosby, 
Angelica Houston, John Matuzak, Ron Perlman, John Carradine, and Bruce Valanche. The movie was a sci-fi adventure film set in a galaxy where water was scarce and therefore the most priceless material around. Of course, this means pirates try and steal it and resell it to make themselves rich. Amidst the hijinks, the overarching plot is to find the fabled water planet, but the real treasure is the friends they made along the way. I remember it being campy and funny and pretty low budget, but it held a special spot in my heart like Buck Rogers series or the Flash Gordon movie. The action sequences are silly and fun, utilizing swashbuckling robots, and the cast seems to have been enjoying themselves throughout. I've made references to this movie at work in vain because no one knows what I'm talking about. This is usually in regards to a piece of equipment that just stops working, and when it was working fine yesterday, and I referenced the robot who doesn't want to fight anymore and unscrews a bolt in his abdomen, and he falls apart. I usually just get blank stares. Like I'm sure I'm getting right now. Anyway, if you haven't seen this movie, then you totally should. This is a great year for the group. Thank you for the time and energy you guys have put into this, and I'm looking forward to what you guys come up with next year. Phil Conti, out! Hey, this is Rich Davis, a.k.a. The Velvet Joker from the Splash Pages podcast, coming at you here. I did not see any old-timey-wimey-type movies this year that I can review, so instead um, I will bring you to a some timey-wimey people that I saw for the first time, and that was uh, Steve Martin and Martin Short in An Evening You Will Forget for the Rest of Your Life, which is currently on Netflix. Uh, came out in 2018. I saw it last night for the first time. Uh, the special has received 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, with the critics' consensus reading brimming with side-splitting laughs and off-the-wall energy. Steve Martin and Martin Short, an evening you will never forget for the rest of your life, is a nostalgic celebration of two comedy legends. And I 100% agree. Um, it was a great show, uh, very funny. You had music, you had theater, you had uh, vaudeville. Uh, their comedy is hilarious. They're both uh, geniuses, and uh, growing up in New York, it felt very New York because they cap on each other pretty much through the whole show. And uh, it's brilliant, but you can still see that it is done with love, which is a, a New York trait, uh, capping on your loved ones. So uh, that is my review. Uh, I definitely give it uh, five crowbars and uh it's a great show so uh, i hope you guys check it out have a great holiday season <laughs> what's up guys it's russ lyman from the weekly warp pipe fellow dorkening podcast associate uh, this is a great question. If I have seen any old-timey Christmas-ish movies, I guess, for the first time this year. And we actually did an episode on our podcast with cartoon Christmas um, episodes or specials that, you know, maybe we want to watch during the holiday season. And one of those was the He-Man and She-Ra Christmas special, which I had not seen back in the day and just recently watched a few days ago. Apparently, this only aired once on TV, and then it was 
never aired again. You had to get the VHS or whatnot to watch this episode. But we watched it on YouTube. You can see it on YouTube now. And honestly, I got bored. I did shut it off and not finish the episode. It was okay. It's it's He-Man and She-Ra together, so that was cool. They were, like, collabing with that. But the premise was, like, Orko gets stuck on Earth and runs into these two kids, and they tell him about Christmas, and then he gets warped back to Eternia. A few other things are going on, and I just thought it was kind of like a weird plot that they threw together just to make a a Christmas special out of it. I would have rather seen maybe like Skeletor become... Uh, Saint Nick or Santa Claus kind of similar to what Jack does in The Nightmare Before Christmas maybe he tried to make it his own so it would feel more Christmassy I guess because you're just basically watching a regular episode of He-Man and She-Ra and they threw in a couple Christmas things in there I don't know maybe I gotta give it another watch you know I haven't seen the He-Man series in quite some time I enjoyed it growing up the figures are still awesome and they hold up but the cartoon, maybe not so much for me now, now that I'm a grown adult. Guys, I hope you have an excellent Christmas. Happy New Year. And we'll see you on the next one. Russ Lyman signing off. Hello, fellow Retroids. I'm Scott Clevenger, co-author of Better Living Through Bad Movies and co-host of the Slumgullion Podcast. And I'm here to talk about a classic film, the beloved holiday hit of 1983, A Christmas Story, which I just saw for the first time recently. How is that possible? I hear you shouting in outrage and incredulity. Well, I escaped it pretty much the same way Andy Dufresne escaped Shawshank Penitentiary, by covering my tracks with a Rita Hayworth poster and crawling through a mile-long tube of liquid human waste. But I finally succumbed to the blandishments of my wife, who convinced me with this argument. Nah, it's fun. Now, some may question whether this film meets the definition of a classic. Is it, in fact, a shimmering star in the firmament of film? A pillar of that fantastical empire built of silver nitrate and refracted light? Well, it is a holiday perennial. Just like DeMille's The Ten Commandments was always shown on TV around Easter, and Hocus Pocus marathons would crop up every Halloween, A Christmas Story returns year after year after year. That's something classics do. That's also something herpes does. Let's dig in and find out which one it is. A Christmas Story, as I'm sure I don't have to tell anyone here, is the episodic account of one Christmas season in 1940 when young Ralphie Parker schemes to obtain, by hook, by crook, or by Santa, a Red Ryder carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle with the compass in the stock. At the same time, Ralphie is coping with bullies, pornographic light fixtures, and top-secret coded communiques from Ovaltine. And here's the question. The first question, the last question, the only important question, is it a good movie? Or is it just one of those things you do once a year out of habit or obligation? Like going to church. Let's check the pros and cons. Pro. It's a reasonably lighthearted flick with good performances and some decent laughs. And if you were in your mid-50s in 1983, this film undoubtedly provided you with a warm glow of nostalgia for those simpler bygone days. Con. 1983 was almost 40 years ago, so anybody who enjoyed the nostalgic appeal of A Christmas Story is probably dead now. And yet, like a zombie, this film continues shambling along. Pro. 
Melinda Dillon, who I like very much as an actress, plays the mom, and was reportedly cast after acing a similar role in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Con. That movie was set in the 1970s. This movie is not, and Melinda Dillon does not look like she belongs in pre-war America, largely because the chemicals and technology to produce a spiral perm did not exist in 1940. Pro. I generally despise showbiz moppets and avoid movies featuring children in a prominent role, but I didn't actually mind Peter Billingsley as Ralphie, partly because it's a near-mute performance. I don't mean he's Cornell Wilde in The Naked Prey, he's got lines, but a lot of his thoughts and feelings are handled by the narrator, the adult Ralphie played by author Gene Shepard. Pro. The old man's explosion of fluent profanity as he does battle with the furnace is a tour de force performance by Darren McGavin and is the best on-screen depiction of authentic frontier gibberish since Blazing Saddles. And let's wrap it up with a pro and a con. And I say that because this one's tricky. It's a Bob Clark film, which can be good or bad, depending on whether you're watching Black Christmas or Super Babies, Baby Geniuses 2. And here you get a bit of both, with Clark telling a heartwarming, accessible story with all the flowing camera moves and visual poetry of an Etch-A-Sketch. Basically, it looks like a slightly better-than-average TV movie, with Bob endowing a Christmas story with the same crisp photography and haunting imagery found in Porky's. Does that matter in a family holiday comedy pitched to kids? Probably not to any kid except me, who, I have to confess, even at Ralphie's age, I was an insufferable, impossible-to-please little bastard who would turn on an otherwise perfectly entertaining film due solely to uninspired cinematography or a drab mise-en-scene. So what's my conclusion? I'd say it's a good movie. It held me, entertained me, made me laugh a few times. And it should be seen, if only because it's become a piece of Americana. Although for me, it's mainly helpful in understanding about 20 different riffs from Mystery Science Theater 3000 episodes. Those guys clearly love this film. So am I glad I watched it? Absolutely. Will I ever watch it again? Absolutely not. And those are my thoughts. Thanks for inviting me to the Christmas party, Retro-Doctopus. And may everyone listening have a happy and healthy holiday season. Hi, this is Trisha J. Wildridge, author of Heart, Wings, and Fire, the first in the Princess and the Dragon fantasy series, as well as an author of many other short stories and poems, an editor of many other books and anthologies, and a longtime Dungeons and Dragons, an RPG aficionado, and geek. You may remember me from when I was locked in the brig, drinking chocolate raspberry coffee for having the audacity to organize rules for make-believe. I'm here today to geek out over the 1986 film Labyrinth, best known for featuring the very special package of David Bowie singing and dancing in spandex breeches while reigning supreme over the Henson and Froud maze of misfit Muppets known as Goblin City. The story goeth thusly. Sarah, played by Jennifer Connelly, the fantasy crush of just about every female-attracted geek in the 80s and 90s, dons the Mary Sue role of just about every female-identifying fantasy geek in the 80s and 90s. She wishes the goblins really would come and take away her baby brother. A relatable experience to every older sibling ever. And when they do, she embarks upon the classic wish-fulfillment portal fantasy to rescue that sibling that is the metaphor of all coming-of-age unfairness, such as untrustworthy maps, people undermining your progress carelessly or on purpose, 
defying oppressive and insulting expectations, finding one's true self and inner strength, and most importantly, wearing an outrageously gorgeous, poofy, sparkly gown to a fancy masquerade and being courted by a sex symbol of non-conforming gender and questionable morals and ethics. Labyrinth is one of the few female-centric heroine's journey, female-empowering classic fantasy films of the 80s and 90s, beloved by fantasy geek misfits of all genders through many generations. I am currently re-obsessing over it because one of my favorite musicians, artists, and creators, Aurelio Voltaire, is releasing his newest album, The Black Labyrinth, which is a tribute to the movie and David Bowie. It features a lot of really cool Easter eggs for the Labyrinth film fans, as well as many of the artists who collaborated with Bowie during his career. So, if you haven't seen Labyrinth, go and do so. If it's been a while, don your favorite spandex breeches or poofy sparkly dress and go magic dance your way to the television. And if you're interested, check out The Black Labyrinth by Aurelio Voltaire. This is Trisha J. Wooldridge signing off, saying, you remind me of the babe. All righty. Welcome back, everyone. Woo! Damn, that is yeah. an incredible amount of audience for You guys watched all kinds of movies. Oh, all kinds of voicemails. I'm it's amazing. I know, right? I mean, I'm just, I'm honestly just overjoyed. My cup, our cup runneth over. Uh, <laughs> we, we had, we had uh, voicemails from, uh, I'm just going to go, I'm going to go down the list, you know, because let's just shout them out. We had Adam Letourneau, we had Ashes Von Nightmare, Dominic Perillo, Evil Corny, James Lamond, Justin Cooper, Keith Lansdale, Lisa Marie Wood, Nick Pericles, Phil Conti, Rich Davis, Russ Lyman, Scott Clevenger, and Trisha Woodridge. Yes. absolutely phenomenal phenomenal participation thank you everyone so much i uh i want to highlight uh in particular uh nick pericles's submission uh nick and i are good friends irl as they say and uh and he was actually telling me about his voicemail just yesterday uh and and how he saw this movie the straight story by david lynch and everything obviously you just heard the voicemail i won't have to go into it but holy crap that's uh that's an insane like like what a combo you know david lynch making a biography pick and then having to be about this guy who wrote a lawnmower across country He's so weird i've yeah. never heard of what a weird combination of things yeah, <laughs> yeah so i i am very morbidly curious this is the like you know textbook definition of like i'm morbidly curious i think this is gonna suck mm-hmm. but i'm so curious um but yeah uh great thank you for submitting um did you guys yeah. have any other ones you wanted to highlight real quick i mean i thought there was a couple that i agree with like that are i could have done mm-hmm. you know it's like oh justin cooper yeah. did, did brazil terry terry gilliam movie from the 70s i've never seen that movie i've never seen brazil great one coop thank you so much and uh keith lansdale did dr strange love how i learned to stop worrying and love the bomb i have never seen that movie yeah um that's another fantastic one and he said in there he's like i felt like i was the only one who never saw this movie in the world you know it's like yeah that that is the point that is totally how you know you've chosen the correct movie for this exercise 
when it yeah. feels like you are the only one in the world who hasn't seen this episode or yep. this movie that's that's perfect um but yeah no we we had some we had some really good ones also i i really enjoyed uh scott clevenger's uh pick was a christmas story which is pretty insane to me that he hasn't seen it but right. he also added that christmas music that you heard himself so he did a little he did a little post-production before he sent over the voicemail so i had to leave it in there right. um <laughs> kind of funny but uh pretty cool uh nice. so yeah good stuff yeah very cool um uh, all right, Nintendo. Did you? Were there any voicemails you wanted to highlight, or? Um, yeah, I'll just I'll I'll highlight uh, my my little daddy, uh, Dominic Perillo. Uh, he picked the um, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh and yeah. He yep. Said how, oh right. Yes. He said how uh, he didn't like the the musical. I think I think that's why he said he didn't like the musical. So well, he, said, he basically said that he, he thought like the, the movie was, was like nothing special, really. Oh, right. Like, he just he's seen it all before, you know? Yeah. Like it's it's not it's not like he's seeing it now after so many, you know, wilder things have come out and stuff. Yeah. Right, right. Um, yeah, no, I would agree with that for sure. I think that uh, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show, despite liking, you know, some of the music in it, I don't think the movie itself is like a, a thing I would say I'm a fan of. I've I'm never not... actually watched it. I'd say I'm no, that's next year, man. Yeah, Season right. five. That'll be next year's. <laughs> really though, I know. I'm like I'm pretty indifferent to it. Like I, I will I will watch it if other people are watching it. It's not like I have to miserably sit through it. Like I'm I'm mm-hmm. fine with it, but yeah. I wouldn't say I'm a fan of it. It's just like it's it's fine. I'm indifferent to it. I do like some mm-hmm. of the songs though, for sure. Um, yeah. Cool, nice. All right. Well, yeah. yeah. Thanks again, yeah, everybody. This was this was really amazing. Great, great way to feature so many of you, and uh, yes. just an awesome, awesome topic to talk about you know it's really fun so many people think that everyone's seen the same types of things and uh you guys all picked some really great great choices yeah i loved uh i love what ash has said too uh you know she picked sideways which is and she's like i know what you guys are thinking are you kidding me ashes von nightmare you you've never seen the <laughs> wine movie the movie about wine the wine movie <laughs> i've actually never heard of this movie um but after looking it up i was kind of curious because I don't know. Paul's your body's like a really good actor. I, I, don't a, it, yeah. I don't think I've disliked him in anything. It's a good movie. Um, yeah, I, I would check he, it out. He, uh, he's not drinking any fucking Merlot, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> no fucking Merlot at all. Uh, no. All right. All right, let's let's get in. Let's dive in. Let's let's grab that fork, that spoon, that spork. Let's dig up that meat and potatoes. <laughs> just just rub it about our face. Um, let's uh, let's all talk. Right. First time viewing of classic films. We are going to kick it off with none other than Parasite Steve. Tell us what you did. So my choice. Every year that we've done this, I've tried to do a different genre. Uh, I started out with horror. Uh, 70s horror with uh, I did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then I went to uh, 60s samurai period films and I watched I wanted to see a Kurosawa film so I saw the Hidden Fortress and then I went last year uh, I I did a uh, Hitchcock movie I did The Birds and uh, so this year I did a 70s kung fu movie and uh you know, it it is uh, like part of this is shame. Part of it, it's like, oh my god, I can't believe I've never seen this movie. Like that's <laughs> it really is part of the exercise, right? And uh, 
And yeah, like I honestly, uh, so if I'm going to be real with you guys, I haven't seen many Bruce Lee movies. In fact, I had only seen one Bruce Lee movie. Wow. And it's not the one you think. It was, uh, I actually had seen the Chuck Norris one, which is The Way of the Dragon. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I thought it was just kind of okay. Like, I wasn't that big a fan of it. But, um, you know, Bruce Lee's amazing, and he's he's always fun to watch. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I had never seen the one, the most popular, the one everybody knows, the one everybody loves, which is Enter the Dragon. So I cannot say that anymore because now I've seen it. So Okay. Yeah. Enter the Dragon was my pick, 1973. What did you um, think? Uh, well, so I, I liked it a lot, actually. Cool. So this was directed. I've never seen it either. So I'm, yeah. I'm really curious. Well, so I found out that there is a criterion collection, uh, of all of his movies. So, so some fun facts, uh, to come, but, uh, one of them right now, he only made five movies. I don't think oh, like, no, I didn't shit. realize really? that. I didn't wow. realize that. That's not a lot. So he was in a couple of TV shows, you know, he was in the Green Hornet as Kato, and then he was uh, involved in uh, Kung Fu, but they wouldn't let him start it because, of course, he's a Chinese guy. You can't have a Chinese, can't have a non-white guy be the star. Right. So okay. David Carradine got the role, but right. that was developed with Bruce Lee. That was his whole idea. He was making that show for himself. Wow, but they were like, yeah, at the last second. Switch. Oh, oh it's bullshit. God. Oh, it's unbelievable. So anyway, so he was a rising star in the late 60s, early 70s. But um, yeah, he, he died mysteriously. Uh, they, they think that it was... Um, honestly, it's, it seems a little weird. It seems like nobody's 100% sure. But it, they think it was a uh, allergic reaction to some pain medication he was taking that interacted with something else. And it caused a swelling in his brain. And he died from it um so he died uh he did finish so enter enter the dragon is his last movie 1973 he did finish it he did finish recording it uh filming it i should say but uh he never saw it released right unfortunately Uh, so he he died when they were gearing up to do like the press tour unfortunately um, so it was, uh, definitely huge tragedy because it was his most successful movie, uh, by far it was loved far and wide. And, uh, yeah, he, he would have, his star would have just exploded for sure. But, um, which of course it did. I mean, it did. I mean, he's a legend and, uh, right. you know, he, he was, he was, I think 32, I believe. Um, yeah. it was, it was yeah, very young. It was early thirties. But so this movie was directed by Robert Klaus Stars Bruce Lee, John Saxon, John Action Saxon, Jim Kelly, Bolo Young, who I was surprised to see in this movie. He's he's the dude with the ex- extremely extremely large pecs. Yes. From yes, I know exactly from from Bloodsport, like very large pecs. Right, like holy Jesus. Um, and you think he's seven feet tall, but he's only five six because the way they shoot him. Uh, like a totally monster. true. Also, an uncredited Jackie Chan is in this movie as well. He's in one one quick scene as a stuntman. Oh, mm. You can see it's him, but it's it's really quick, and it's just a stunt guy, and it's just a guy that he fights, uh, like one of three guys who like jump him, and it's like, oh, that was Jackie Chan. Look at that. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of like lore around this movie. Um, the plot of it is honestly. 
after seeing it because I knew nothing about it really, uh, other than the fact that it was the one that everybody talked about. Um, is it's it's very Mortal Mortal Kombat. Like it's clearly what Mortal Kombat was like doing. Like so, anytime there's like that tournament. I feel like, you know, Bloodsport was the same sort of way. It's like, yeah, that's, it seems to be all, it's probably all because of this. Yeah. Um, it, it really is, uh, it's a tournament movie. It's, it's like, what happens is, so he's like training with like some monks at the beginning. And um, just, just, you get a great exposition fight. Um, and when that's over, he's approached by this like British uh, Secret Service guy who uh, who says that like okay well okay so there's this guy and his name's mr han and mr han used to be a monk at your monastery and he trained with you guys but um now he's an evil drug lord who runs a crime ring off this private island that he bought and we can't touch him because like the way the international law works uh can you go in and like spy on him slash maybe kill him and so or something yeah he's having a tournament and he says and they say that this is what he does to like you know i think i think it's how he like hires his people like you know we have only the best people we have only the best people who fight in the tournament only the best people that don't die in the tournament and uh so he he's like bruce lee's like all right yeah sure i'll I'll go fuck shit up like no problem so he he goes and much like in Mortal Kombat, like the Mortal Kombat movies, both Mortal Kombat movies, you have those scenes where like the the, the fighters are just kind of like getting to the island and they're like in transit and they right. sort of like run into other fighters and you're like, oh, you're Sonya Blade. Oh, you're Jax. Oh, you're Kano. And, you know, it's kind of like that, right? So, you know, they sort of meet each other on the way and there's some great stuff on a boat. Um and uh they you know have some scraps on the boat and just it's at all times it's interesting like i just i there's no time to be bored it's really fun and they get to the island and it is amazing they i mean it's all on location the size of this fucking facility that they took over to turn into the training grounds is absolutely nuts i mean it really is just amazing. The aerial shots they pull out and it's like, oh my God, it's huge. There are extras everywhere. There's probably like a thousand people all like doing their own like sparring matches, like fucking on these like different levels and like every, it's like, it is so lived in. It's so real feeling. And they must have like shouted go and then like let everybody start sparring for like a couple of minutes and then like just then started to pull out because every single square inch of the screen is filled with like little tiny guys that are fighting amongst themselves. <laughs> it's really cool. It really is an insane shot. So then like, you know, you just, you just follow Bruce as he, uh, infiltrates and learns and whatever, but you're also following uh, John Saxon, who's like the American dude. Well, there's two American dudes. John Saxon and Jim Kelly are both from America, and and they're just uh, they're friends. They're old friends, so it really feels like there's two stories. It's like you have the John Saxon Jim Kelly story, and then you have the Bruce Lee story, and they end up, you know, becoming the same story, and um, it's. 
so they both need to stop Mr. Han for different reasons, essentially. They're both there unbe- unbeknownst to each other. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it, it's a, it's a fucking great movie and it has like some seriously amazing action, really great fights, uh, solid story that's simple enough it's not a crazy story it's like very easy to follow it's very fun and uh the characters are fun uh jim kelly is a straight pimp and he's like they every every night they go they go to each each combatant's room and they're like okay um we're here with the whores and they're like (laughs) and they're like oh i'll take i'll take her come here baby and then Jim Kelly is this like seven foot black dude, and he's like, "Uh, yeah, I'll take you and you and you and oh and you and and then he takes them all. Damn. He takes them all. He takes them all. Like it's like, like six or seven of them. And he's like, he's like, yeah, baby. And then like the and it's the seventies, so it's great. He's got like this big afro, and he's just such a fucking pimp. He's so awesome. And then the next morning, like they're all just like le- lounging about, like spent. And he's like, he's like. He's just like gonna get up and leave, and one of them's like, "Where are you going?" He's like, "I'm going for a walk." And he's just like, "Like, leave the fuck alone!" Wow. I, like, aren't you satisfied, woman? Like, <laughs> you and your seven friends? Um, no, it's it's uh it's great. Um, and then the most iconic thing of all is when he is in that final battle with Mr. Han, which is the scene where he's surrounded by mirrors and he has the claw marks on his chest and he's bleeding. And that is like the shot that I knew from this movie. That is the always the scene. That is always the shot that I've seen a billion times of Bruce Lee with the claw marks and surrounded by mirrors. It's like, yeah, oh my God, when it happened, I was like, oh my God, this is it, you know? Yep. So, and yeah, if you haven't seen Enter the Dragon, I would say uh, you got to see it. Um, But yeah, so there's a Criterion uh, collection. It's like 60 something bucks and it has all five movies. And Criterion is like super amazing with their restoration Blu-rays. They do not at all skimp on anything. So uh, you're guaranteed like the print's going to be awesome and they're going to have as many featurettes as they could find. And uh, they usually, you know, film some new ones and they're a great company. I really like Criterion. Uh, so I was kind of like looking to p- pick that up and add it to the collection. Cause that that's pretty fun. I mean, it's, you know, it's five movies. Um, I'd like to see them all, but so, so some, some quick facts. Um, so he made five movies. He only voices himself in the, for the American, for the English dub, the English release. He only voices himself in two. Uh, it's this one and it's, I, I don't remember what the other one is, but it's not way of the dragon. It's one of the other ones. Um, so it's like, damn, three of his movies. It's not even his voice. Huh. And it sucks wow, because he could, that's shitty. It's super shitty because he could speak perfectly fine English. It, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a lot of lore surrounding the filming of this movie. Uh, nobody's a hundred percent sure, if, like what stories are true and what ones aren't. I watched a lot of videos about it and uh, it definitely seems like there was some shit going on. There are some stories that say some of the people, like I said, there's like so many combatants that they needed, so many extras, so many stuntmen and different people that um, uh, supposedly some of the guys were from the triads, which is like one of oh. like, it's like the Chinese gang, mm. <laughs> like yeah, really yeah, bad news. Right. Um, 
and some of them were triads. And there are a lot of stories of different people who say that Bruce Lee was uh, constantly challenged by different people. Uh, some of the challenges were supposedly triad members. There's supposedly one guy who challenged him, got beat down by Bruce because Bruce was like, he kept having to try to prove himself. Like, like the term that kept coming up was paper tiger. Everyone was saying he was, he was a paper tiger. He wasn't really this, you know, phenomenal martial artist. It was just all smoke right. and mirrors. All just, smoke and mirrors, right? It was all movie bullshit. And he's, and you know, he's like, no, no, I, I, I do all this. This is real. And uh, <clears throat> he kept having to prove himself. And there were so many people and, you know, that were there that he felt that, you know, he, he couldn't lose the respect of all these people. And so there were supposed times that he actually, like, got into fights with different people. And every, every supposed story always ends the same. You know, he, he won in two seconds and everybody would back off. And, and there was supposedly one guy who was allegedly in the triads who then supposedly showed up dead a couple days later. So who knows? Oh. It's like, is that, is that real? Is that bullshit? I don't know. Like there are so many stories surrounding this movie and uh, it's very interesting. Dang. Yeah. Like other cast members had stories. His, 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 uh, his wife, his ex-wife had stories um, and uh, stuntmen, camera people, like so many people. But the problem is that a lot of them do not like back each other up it seems like everybody has a different take of all these different things that happen so who really knows it's right. interesting but it's definitely a, a production that is uh is interesting it's you know it's 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 cool um uh yeah so i mean i mean i don't know i guess that's i guess that's my presentation i don't think i had anything else um i don't think maybe i'm forgetting something but yeah enter the dragon absolutely kicked ass very happy i scratched that 70s kung fu itch and uh, added that to the roster of the uh, the movies that I uh, classic movies I hadn't seen until <laughs> until this season. Nice, uh, kind of fun, yeah. So, awesome. Hey, that, is, that is one I've not even thought about the fact that I haven't seen it, but that's so true. I yeah, I yeah I've never seen it either. I got to see that. I haven't watched I haven't watched any you know martial arts movies in such a long time. I feel like all that itch scratches happened with uh, Cobra Kai, but yeah. I haven't I haven't really sat down and watched a martial arts movie in forever. Um, yeah. So nice. No, I'm really glad you liked it. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, it was, it was great. The mythos around it is fascinating, man. It's like shit like that just doesn't happen. Anymore. You know, it's like I don't know. Everything's so like well documented now that it's just like oh man there's like yeah mythos around yeah there's mythos yeah i know i know i know it's crazy it's crazy you know yeah Um, and there are people that that were there and they say like you know he's you know even jackie chan has said you know like you just could not believe how fast he was no you know like jackie chan was uh saying in an interview like he was trying to say like like how fast he was that it was so fast. Like the camera couldn't, or he's like, your eye couldn't pick it up, pick up the motion. Right. Right. He's like, there are other fast things that you can see move. He's like, but Bruce, it was like, there was no in between. So fast. You couldn't perceive it. It was starting, starting position. And then you're getting your hit. He's like, you couldn't even, you could not see him move. He was so fast. Oh God. What a f- yeah, that's crazy. So yeah, cool. 
So cool. Um, all right. All right. Awesome. So I, I'm going to move on to uh, my pick here uh, and the movie that I have chosen because I've heard about it forever and uh, people just seem to eat this thing up. Uh, this is 1980s movie Caddyshack, uh, a, a sports comedy film directed by Harold Ramis. Yes, that's right. Yes. E- Egon himself. Yes, uh, he's written. all right. He's all right. Right. Gotta worry about me. Uh, it's a, not a great Kenny Loggins, but, you know, uh, I, I think that the, the music of this movie is great. Uh, <laughs> the movie was written by Brian Doyle Murray, uh, Harold Ramis, and Douglas Kenny, and it starred. Uh, in case you're not sure, I, I really do feel like I'm presenting to a room of people who know this movie. Um, but you know, fuck it. That's what I'm. What I'm, that's what I'm like, here to do. Th- hey, shame is part of it. That's what right, like I said. Right, right, right. So, so fucking whatever. Uh, but it's got <laughs> it stars it stars a little known actor called Chevy oh. Chase. Oh. Um, and and a man by the name of Rodney Dangerfield. Um, <laughs> Dangerfield. Yeah, Chevy Chase, Rodney Dangerfield, Ted Knight, Michael O'Keefe, and Bill Murray with supporting acting done by Sarah Holcomb, Cindy Morgan, and Brian Doyle Murray. Uh, this movie, Caddyshack, is applauded as one of the greatest comedy movies ever made. Uh, this movie has received accolades as being number two on Bravo's hunt. 100 Funniest Movies is recognized by the American Film Institution as number 71 on the 100 Years of Laughs. Uh, as again in 2000, in 2000, it was number 71. In 2005, uh, it was it was placed on number 92 for a quote as spoken by Bill Murray's character, uh, which is a Cinderella story out of nowhere. Former greenskeeper, now about to become the Masters champion. It looks like a miracle. Oh, it's in the hole. It's in the hole. It's in the hole. Uh, <laughs> which, which truly is one of my favorite scenes where he's just like smacking the dandelions, just doing whatever the fuck he's doing. Uh, and then uh, also again in 2008 for uh, number set, it came in top 10 for num- number seven as uh, just a sports film period uh and so just setting it up like this movie is freaking loved um and you know i've heard about this movie forever constantly being referenced as one of the greatest every time i i sheepishly say i have never seen caddyshack i always get what yeah exactly yeah and it's like jesus christ i don't know it's a fucking you know 1980s sports comedy like no i haven't seen this movie like it's couldn't possibly be less my thing uh but you know here i am i'm watching it uh so so this you know was it was harold ramus's directorial debut uh it really did a lot to boost rodney dangerfield up because he was mostly just known for stand-up comedy uh the movie grossed almost 40 million dollars at the box office um and you know it kind of started a a trend in comedy movies around that time. Uh, ESPN described it as perhaps the funniest sports movie ever made. Um, and it also spawned a very, very not celebrated sequel, Cal- uh, Caddyshack 2, uh, which is often cited as one of the worst sequels ever. Uh, but, ooh, 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 miter saw. Uh, but so <laughs> this, so, so Caddyshack is a golf movie in case you weren't sure in case like me you don't do golfing um basically the plot revolves around this young caddy uh danny noonan who works at this bushwood country club 
in Illinois and he's trying to earn money to, to pay for college. Um, what I will say about this movie is that the plot of it truly doesn't matter. It starts out with this, you know, okay, here's this kid. What's he doing? He's trying to earn money, trying to go to college. He's an up and comer. Like what's his deal? He's kind of good at golf though. What's he going to do? Is he going to go for like this scholarship or, you know, or is he going to just pursue like golfing full time or whatever? And then like the movie is sort of just, 98 minutes of goofy shit happening around the the Bushwood Country Club and you know plenty of it is funny but I I feel like plenty of it is also just like it's like very much at the bar for comedy I didn't feel like anything about this movie was leaps and bounds laugh out loud funniest movie I've ever seen even at all. I felt like it was very much an even keel, like five or six out of 10 on the comedy scale. I, I enjoyed watching it, you know, but it wasn't a movie that I found myself, you know, dying watching like, like some of the all time great comedies, like, you know, uh, Monty Python and the Holy grail or, or, you know, just some of these other ones that have such a legacy. So watching the movie, I would say that like, I was, I was, disappointed i was pretty disappointed in it um and then also it is a product of literally 1980 the year 1980 the turn of the seven you know out of the 70s and i feel like you know there's there's a good amount of slapstick which i'm which i'm all for i like that it's got this this subplot that's happening throughout the movie is you know if 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 there's probably one thing you've seen about caddyshack it's this gopher this gopher little right 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 and so it's like you know when i started watching this movie i was like okay so this movie's all about this gopher right and then it's like the gopher's not really in the movie that much the gopher's in like three scenes three or four scenes and basically you know the caddy kid is doing his own thing you're getting his story and then the gopher is terrorizing the bushwood country club and so Bill Murray's character as the groundskeeper, he gets told to go and deal with this gopher ASAP. Just go do it. Um, and so you get like this parallel story of what is Bill Murray, his character is Carl Spackler. Uh, what is Carl doing throughout the movie? And it's always, you know, very often him cooking up some kind of scheme to try and get this gopher or just dealing with the fallout of like, something else happening that's irrelevant like like there's there's this one one really like famous scene where everybody's in the pool and they're all swimming and they're just like having a grand old time and then this girl just like she gets out of the pool and she's sitting there talking with her friends she's eating a candy bar and she's like mm, i want some like candy bar and the girl's just like mm, okay and she takes it and then like some other kid walks by or says something and like scares her and then the girl's just like ah and just like like chucks the candy bar goes flying into the pool and then it just floats into the pool and it's a chocolate covered candy bar so it just looks like a huge turd and so Everybody in the pool is freaking out. They're like, oh my God, it's it's poop. You know, oh no. And they're just, you know, they go crazy. Everyone runs. It's this, you know, big scene. And then they drain the whole pool. They gotta clean it. They gotta scrub the bottom of it and all this stuff. Now, mind you, this has nothing to do with the gopher. This is just a thing that happens. Um, and 
and then Bill Murray, you know, Carl's at the bottom of the pool and he's scrubbing it up. And then he he's like he picks up the 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 candy bar. And meanwhile, uh, you know, one of the main characters in the movie is this guy. He's he's the judge played by Ted Knight. He's Judge Elihu Smales, which is amazing because it's only the second time in life I've ever heard the last name Smales. Uh, first time being Rob Smales. Shout out Rob Smales. Um, so so. <laughs> Judge Elihu Smales is just a member of the country club. Um, he is, he, he is, okay, you know what? No, I was right. He's, so he's one of the founders of the Bushwood Country Club. Okay. I, initially, I initially thought that he was like the owner or a founder. And then someone else told me that they were just like a, a member there. And I'm like, I don't know. I think he's much more important than that. So he's, he's part of the founders, you know, association and him and his wife are standing up at the, you know, surface level of the pool, looking down at it, getting cleaned. And they watch Carl walk over and pick up the candy bar who they think is a shit. And they, they, he smells <laughs> it and then he bites the shit. And then the lady up top just faints because she's like, Oh my God, you know, the groundskeeper just, he just ate a shit. Of, he just took a bite out of that crap. And uh, and she passes out. And I mean, that's the extent of it. You know, it's like the, you the just movie, ate that shit. You just ate that shit. <laughs> the movie is not a. It's not a comedy movie that dwells on the funny thing it does. Uh, it. But I also don't think. I don't think it quite lands comedic timing super well. Hmm. I feel like some of the jokes they they come out and then we're on to the next thing, and it almost doesn't like. It gives it too much time or not enough time or something. And it's just, it all feels very strung together. It just, it feels like, okay. And, and on to the next thing, you know, obviously there's, there's no laugh track or anything. It's a movie and, and all this other stuff, but it's, it's weird. It's like, it's, it's weird to hear about these legendary moments of comedy and then mm-hmm. to see how like matter of fact and plain they feel in the context of the movie. It's just like, Oh yeah. Okay. That just you know that happened. Like, did I chuckle at it? It's like, yeah, no, it's funny, but it's also not like amazing. Uh, but anyway, you know, so the the movie basically kind of goes around. You have uh, Rodney Dangerfield's character is this guy who owns a bunch of property across the street from the country club. He comes over and he's trying to play. He's a super rich guy, and you know he's just loud and obnoxious and treating everybody there like like crap and. Uh, and so he's like, you know, kind of an antagonist, but there isn't really a bad guy in the movie. Like, I guess the gopher is kind of a bad guy, but he's sort of just doing his own thing. Like he doesn't, he doesn't have any stake in this. And, uh, and really like there, there isn't much of a plot. There isn't an overarching thing that the characters are trying to do. Where it's sort of just like witnessing, you know, a week of these various different characters doing stuff at this country club. And, you know, eventually the the caddy kid asks uh you know he asks advice from chevy chase who is like this really good golfer and he's like the son of one of the founders of the uh of the the country club and you know they have a few scenes together bill murray has a scene with chevy chase like they sort of just bop around like checking off the boxes like getting getting everybody a chance to have a scene to do something funny and and that's it and the the movie ultimately ends on this tournament that they just decide to have between Judge Schmales and the uh, Rodney Dangerfield character because Judge Schmales Judge Schmales this summer uh, 
Ronnie Dangerfield's just, you know, he's he's talking his mouth off, and he's like, "Hey, you know, why, why don't we, uh, you know, have a have a competition here? You know, put put ten thousand uh, dollars, you know, put your money where your mouth is, uh, you know." Uh, and he's just like, he's just like, he's just <laughs> shooting his mouth off. Like there isn't, there wasn't gonna be a tournament or anything, and so he wants to pair off with uh, with Chevy Chase, who's like a really good golfer, but is not at all interested in competing. Like he's just he just enjoys golf. He, he doesn't want to go pro. He doesn't want to make a ton of money on it. Like mm-hmm. he comes from money. He's just like, whatever. Uh, but Ronnie Dangerfield wants to use him to make money. And then judge Schmales decides to use the caddy, Danny Noonan as his like, you know, pinch hitter guy. Uh, and, and he's like, okay, you know, the deal is here. Like if you, if you win this for me, I'm going to give you this scholarship so you can go to school and, and go practice law. And you can study, you know, you can study law and, and uh, you'll get this full ride scholarship and it'll be great. Uh, but then, you know, Rodney Dangerfield's over here being like, hey, you know, if you throw this game, uh, you know, I, you know I, 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 I cut you in. You know, I, I mean, the pot's already up to forty thousand dollars here. You know, I, I'm going to have, uh, you know, a little bit of extra money for you. Like he doesn't really specify <laughs> at all the incentive like he's just basically <laughs> saying vague. he's wicked wicked vague and he's basically just like oh you know there might be a little bit in it for you if you throw this game and you've, so you've heard of vague booking this was vague hustling vague hustling right. so hard and then <laughs> and so then you know it's like he's he's kind of like back and forth and i'm like why are you back and forth on this like the whole movie you're trying to get the scholarship and now you're like weirdly waffling kind of because like Roddy dangerfield offered you like some money of his of his winning pot like he did not specify how much and uh and so then the final hole comes up and the you know the the big kind of scene here I, i'm spoiling the last scene of caddyshack okay okay shit. Uh, uh you guys don't need to worry about this being like a big story <laughs> reveal here as okay? you said the story the plot just doesn't matter the plot's just, you know, it's just set dressing. Um, but yeah, you know, spoiler alert, I guess, but whatever. Uh, so last shot, they decide to up the ante, and now all of a sudden it's it's for it's for all the nuts. Okay. The pot is no longer forty thousand, it's for eighty thousand dollars. Okay. They 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 are at the last thing, right? All the clams. And all the freaking clams in the in the raw bar. And so, okay, fine. That's all happening. Meanwhile, uh Bill Murray's been trying to kill this gopher, you see. Uh, and so he's like rigged up this insane fucking sequence of like actual dynamite throughout all the holes that the gopher has dug to to blow the gopher to kingdom come. And uh, and you no, nobody else realizes this. Like he's just very sneaky, apparently. And um, and so the the putt is happening and, and and Danny needs to sink this putt. And if he if he if he sinks the putt, then you know he's gonna he's gonna win the scholarship. But if he or or no, no, they, they like switch it around. I don't know. It's like if he if he sinks the putt, he will get the eighty thousand dollar pot. And if he doesn't sink the putt, then Judge Smales will give him the the scholarship okay i'm i'm hazy on it forgive me okay but so he goes to make this putt and the ball goes all the way to the hole and then it stops and it stops dead right there and then bill murray's character and then that's it and then bill murray's character sets off the dynamite blows the ever-loving fuck out of the out of the whole golf course explosions going off all over the place and i'm like 
Of course, every everything must be must be destroyed except the gopher, right? They they show you the gopher's fine at the end, right? Hundred yeah. percent, right? Because it ends with 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 the the I'm all right. Song. I'm all right. Okay. It and okay. it ends with that, okay. but it it like the I've also was never made, seen this movie. The decision I've, was made that he missed that that he 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 trumped it. The ball didn't go in. It's like that's it. You know, you 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 lost, and that and that's all there is to it. And then the explosions go off, and it shakes the ball into the cup. And they count it. <laughs> oh, oh my god! <laughs> like they're like, oh my god! And like four hundred people come out of the fucking woodwork to like celebrate Danny, and they're running down the green, and it's like, oh my god! And he's just cheesing so fucking hard, just like running down the green, like <laughs> loving life more than anything. And I'm just like, are you fucking serious? Like many <laughs> explosions just went off. And put and caused the ball to shake into the hole. Are you seriously fucking <laughs> counting this? But it, it, but all of it is just to to reinforce that the plot doesn't matter, the logic doesn't matter, reasoning isn't the factor. Is it funny? Is all that they were thinking of? Yeah. And so they just were trying to make everything silly and, and funny and whatever. And I'm like, you know, I I understand it's a comedy movie. They're not trying to tell a great story, but I also think it's stupid that within the confines of this being like a very respected country club and all of these people taking golf really fucking seriously the whole movie that this that this is something that they just let go. They're just like, yeah, yeah, no, you you did it. You're such an amazing golfer. I'm like, you fucking didn't. <laughs> like like a dynamite knocked it in. Go to the video Right, like everybody heard it. It's not like it was a. It was you know really far away. It wasn't it was secret like, dynamite. It was, I mean, it, it was, was like I mean, it was secret dynamite. But when it exploded, it wasn't a secret anymore. Exactly. So I'm just like, what the fuck is this movie? Really, what the fuck? Then is it was, and, then, and then it's just credit knowledge dynamite. It, at it that just point. it pans over, and the gopher's there, and he pops up, and he's dancing, and I'm all right. And then just you know, credits roll, and they're like, you know, okay, dust off the hands. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. <laughs> Movie complete. I'm like, what the fuck did I just watch? Honestly, I mean, it has it has funny parts for sure, and it's great to see like Bill Murray and Chevy Chase in their prime. I'm not really a Rodney Dangerfield fan. Uh, you know, Ted Knight as as Judge Mills is great. Uh, there's a whole plot with with Judge Mills's niece being like this young, super like sexualized person from Manhattan, and she like shows up and starts to like you know woo all these different guys and stuff. And she she like sleeps with Chevy Chase, and then she sleeps with the with uh, you know Danny Noonan, who already has a girlfriend, but like he sleeps with this other girl anyway and it's just it's all very weird and i'm like yeah uh, this this feels like 1980 like machismo kind of you know just passing around the attractive girl sort of thing and i'm like yeah this is weird and gross uh and i just honestly don't feel like it added anything to the movie um and also it made you question the main character like danny you're supposed to be like getting behind and like you know trying to root for and then it's like but you like you have this girlfriend and and she had like a pregnancy scare and then you're just like also sleeping with this other blonde girl who you like have met twice it's just it's all very forced it's like why why is this yeah here? Um, and you said you watched this twice right i did yeah so I, I watched it once and then i watched it another time to be like maybe i need to like 
know what I'm expecting. Yeah, like getting the rhythm. Right. And, but that and didn't I, help. I just don't think it did. I think it just kind of was like, yeah, no, I, I, I think this is how I feel about this movie. And, you know, I just wanted to, uh, to kind of cement that. And actually, you know, I, I was so thorough. I even watched Caddyshack too. Whoa. Uh, which is, which was, you know, crazy. Uh, Caddyshack too. I will leave it at the only returning actor is uh, Chevy Chase. Uh, and he's the same character. He's all washed up. Uh, but the the main character of the movie couldn't possibly be more different. I mean, it's like he's this older it's, guy in his fifties. Jackie this, Mason, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and yeah. he's this older guy who is a very wealthy. Uh, like he he kind of sounds Jewish, but he he mentions oh, he mentions oh, yeah. that he's Ar- Armenian. No, 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 his his character. Well, no, his character. His <laughs> character. Jack- he can't like, hide it though. <laughs> yeah. He's his his character's Jack Hartoonian and he's like, Oh yeah, you know, blah blah blah. I you know, I, I was part, you know, this, that, and the other thing. He mentioned he's Armenian, but yeah, Jackie Mason is just basically playing a Jewish uh real estate guy who is, you know, trying to be a good father, trying to do the right thing, goes to build low income housing to try and give back to the community. He seems like a genuinely good guy. And then he uh, gets stopped from building what he's building by this historical society, which turns out is actually run by people at the Bushwood Country Club. And so then he like infiltrates the Bushwood Country Club and fucks their shit up royally. Okay. I mean, it's it's insane. The the levels of like like initially I started the movie being like, oh yeah, this is this is a good guy. Like he's really trying to do the right thing. And then <laughs> the degree that he goes to screw over the rich people, I'm like, dude, I don't know. I I don't <laughs> I don't fucking know anymore. I feel like I don't feel good about anybody in this movie. Like everything happening here feels extremely not okay. And there's just like so much money being thrown around and like, Oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to seek out Chevy chase and I'm going to buy the majority sharehold in, in the Bushwood country club. And then I'm going to make all the rich people leave and I'm going to turn it into a theme park and just make it into like this total fucking laughing stock. And I'm like, Oh my God, dude, you like absolutely annihilated these people's <laughs> fucking life and well-being like you just you just destroyed everything they had there's a weird scene <laughs> with a human auction where they're trying what? to raise money for a like you know they're trying to raise money for something and so all of the bushwood country club members auction themselves off people in order to do like one day of labor and so the so uh the the Jackie Mason character goes in and he starts bidding on the Bushwood Country Club guy's wife and he and the the the, the this husband just doesn't like, sound above board to me. It's it's so fucking weird and that keeps going and so like so he ends up outbidding the the main antagonist and and like he's like I I hired your wife for for a day's worth of labor and you know what he he literally wins the auction for every single other person that goes up and so he is single handedly <laughs> hired the entire goddamn country club and he sends them over to his building project to 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 a construction job for a day and it's just like dude this guy has disgusting impossible money how the hell am I supposed to in any way like 
relate to this character. Like he's supposed to be like the the you know the champion of the people, but he's throwing like millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars around, and and it's just like it's it's fucking. It's like if if and, uh, if Robin Hood was played by Elon Musk, it's like I'm not right. buying this. It's a hundred percent. Something about this is a little off. Something right. A little off. And, and and then, you know, just to kind of tie it back into the first movie, they're like, oh, shit, we should definitely bring that gopher thing back, though. And so they bring the gopher back into the movie. <laughs> He's and- still all right. <laughs> Nobody's, Nobody's giving a shit. Nobody's uh, still worried now. <laughs> and, uh, and so what they do is because there's no Bill Murray, they're like, oh, who's the next best thing? Ryan uh, Doyle Murray? Is Dan Aykroyd around? Oh, so Dan Aykroyd no. plays a character Dan. who's like this this military soldier, like like kind of like out of the service, kind of washed up guy that the Bushwood Country Club hires <laughs> the the owner hires him to assassinate the girlfriend Jackie Mason. Oh, J- no, Jackie, Jackie Mason. He's like kill this fucking man. And that's oh and god. that's and that's just where the story goes. And I'm like, oh wow. my god, this movie has jumped the shark in so many directions. I can't even believe what they thought they were doing here. And the craziest thing, the movie was not directed by Harold Ramis, but it was still written by Harold Ramis. Oh, weird. Uh, Harold Ramis and PJ Torukve. So I don't know much about him, but mm. uh, yeah, no, it it was truly a good. of a really different color that and time. also really bad. Uh, but you know, the fun part about it for me was that, uh, you guys remember this movie called the stupids? Probably yes. not, but no, the stupids with uh, Tom, Tom Arnold. Arnold, Tom Arnold. Well, so the, the wife in the stupids, I always thought was like really great. And she is the main character's daughter in this movie. And I'm oh, like, weird. that's crazy. This is probably literally like the only like second thing that she's ever been in. Uh, and <laughs> I don't remember who she was. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what is her name? Darn it. Oh, Jessica Lundy. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. That that sounds familiar. Not Jessica Tandy, but Jessica Lundy. Lundy. Yeah. Um, uh, and she's great. She was really funny in the in the stupids. And I mean, in this movie, she's just kind of whatever. Like she's she's constantly trying to belong to the rich club. oh yes she had a couple of failed sitcoms i loved her yeah i thought she was really great yep um super great super yep, funny i yep. loved her in the stupids and so it was cool to see her in this movie um but yeah i don't know other than that it didn't matter but yeah. anyway i i digress <clears throat> heavily yes. it doesn't matter about caddyshack 2 caddyshack wow. 1 i give it a solid 6 out of 10 i just don't think it's that good um mm. but you know i yeah. i respect people loving yeah. it and i'm sure people who golf think it's funnier but it's not like there's that much golf humor it's just like they happen to be at a golf club like mm. that's really all that's happening that's not like any any of it actually follows the golfing so uh just real quick on jackie mason the only thing i know jackie mason from is uh, because he was like an old-timey um like stand-up comedian guy and uh but he he does have a very small memorable role in one of my favorite comedies the history of the world part one and uh, he plays jew number one in the spanish inquisition (laughs) sequence and uh i do have it up and i would like to perform the jackie mason portion for for you uh before we move on so uh i was sitting flicking chickens and i'm looking through the pickings when suddenly these guys break down my walls i didn't even know them and they grabbed me by the school them and they started playing ping pong with my balls oh the agony oh the shame to make your privates public for a game (laughs) i didn't know that was him (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my god, that fucking sequence. Uh, I mean, I I can't I can't say that like when Caddyshack two started, I was like, I like this guy. He's so much more likable and interesting than the main character from Caddyshack one. But then it just it just turns it just to it, get, it just yeah. gets way too dark. So I'm the like, I, I I can't I can't like anybody in this yeah, movie. Everybody gotcha. sucks. All right. And that was anyway. about that was about 40 minutes. <laughs> Jesus Christ, what a fucking saga. You're you're uh, welcome and I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> Nintendo, uh, what do you, know, you just save me the trouble of watching this movie? <laughs> yep, you are spared, my guy. I, spared. I mean, I, mean, I wouldn't have watched it anyways only because Chevy Chase is in it. So Yeah. Yeah, Chevy right. Chase is not I'm not, I'm not No, me that. neither. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, yeah. I, I still, I still adore the Three Amigos. But other than that, even yeah. the movies of Chevy Chase that I used to love, I don't really find as funny anymore. Like even, right. even the oh so holy Christmas Vacation, I find yeah. to be not that funny anymore. I, I used I, to think I, it was the funniest thing in the entire world when I was a kid. But, uh, yep. but yeah, but you know, comedy's tough. It doesn't always, you know, stay funny for you, and it's, it's just. I don't know. We were talking about this over the weekend, Tim, and I think comedy is like really generational. And like when that yeah. movie came out, it's just such a different time. And and those people found it funny. And maybe if you were the age of those people at that time, you would have also found it funny. But now it just it doesn't hit the same. And it's just one of those things. Comedy is comedy is tough. It is to it is. To, to, to stay funny. It That's really why I like is. the ones that I latch on to are like the Mel Brooks and the Monty Python and different ones. Like <clears throat> there are so few over the years that i that i've still think is uh, think still that i still think is is a really good movie you know so mm-hmm. few movies but uh anyway so hey, nintendo nintendo yeah. what did you watch my guy so uh well for the record i just want to say i'm going to do the best i can because i've been coughing up a freaking storm and i'm having a hard time breathing because of it so i'm going to do okay. the best i can okay you got this to, to get through this okay um, it, it won't you, can, be you can be brief you can be brief yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to be really brief with this one. Um, so my pick is uh, Die Hard, which came out in 1988. Oh, wow. it, it was directed by John McTiernan. Tiernan. Tiernan. John. John McTiernan. <laughs> and it stars Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, and uh, what's his name from Family Reginald Man. Bell Johnson. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Carl, Carl Winslow. <laughs> yeah. Love him in this movie. Carl yeah. Winslow. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so this movie, I know a lot of people are saying like, oh, this is the, the best Christmas movie of all time. I have to disagree hardcore with that. Um, I don't think it's a Christmas story at all. Um, even though it does take place around Christmas time, not Christmas D. Um, although I will say I do like the movie a lot. Um, I remember seeing like bits and pieces of it, but I don't recall mm-hmm. watching the entire thing. So I watched it today and I I liked it a lot. I thought it was really good. And holy cool. fuck, I love 
fucking Alan Rickman in this movie. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Hans Gruber like is the, the shit. the best part of the whole movie. Oh, about uh, yes. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was, like, like not really familiar with his work other than, well, I know he was in this movie, uh, but mostly in Harry Potter. Right. Yep. And where I'm sure most people younger than me remember him from. Right. Um, like, holy fuck. Like, in that one movie alone, like, his the range of like like all these accents that he pulls off in this movie mm-hmm. is fucking mind-blowing it's so impressive and like just from that alone like he gets my respect yeah Big like, totally holy fuck that, that, is, that is like no easy feat to mm-hmm. pull off that role he's so great he was so he's, good may, may he rest in peace as well i mean honestly he was just one of those actors i swear to god I swear to God, he never turned in a bad performance ever. Not ever. No. Right. I know. Impossible. Really. He's always amazing. Always. In absolutely everything. I also love him in the uh, the Kevin Costner Robin Hood. He's the sheriff of Nottingham. That's that's where I first w- saw him, actually, before even this movie. Never seen that still. Uh, it's it's long. It's long. It's it's not like the greatest movie ever. It's good. No, definitely and, um, not. Yeah, but I yeah, it's still a good movie. Yeah, I, I love honestly. His Sheriff of Nottingham is my favorite part of that movie, and he's kind of funny. He's evil, but he's like kind of the only funny character. Uh, and his comedy is like dark and dry, and like not really actual comedy, but it, it's still like the funniest part you know like i don't know he's great he's uh awesome in that and obviously galaxy quest um and like really like so so many freaking movies he's just he's he was awesome um i remember seeing galaxy quest and i was not like a huge fan of that movie but now i kind of like want to revisit that movie yeah just to see him in it and see how you know see how he acts and just I don't know. Like this movie just made me a fan, mm. like instantly. That's awesome. Um, as far as like what the movie's about, um, it's really like nothing special. It's like it's very eighties. It's like it's just like a heist, basically. It's like a it's a it's a heist movie, mm. not a Christmas movie. It's a heist movie, right? It's a heist movie that takes place at Christmas, <laughs> and the whole point is. The, these East German terrorists, as they're called, apparently, um, they just want they just want to take six hundred and forty million dollars in bearer bonds. That's it. That's it. That is like the entire point of this movie. Very eighties, not very creative. Yeah, it's a, it's boilerplate, like yeah. big action movie. You know, yeah. it's it was kind of like one of the first really successful like big 80s action movies right because wasn't right. it like what what year was it, it was 88 yeah oh okay so maybe there was stuff before that in between yeah. the coughing 88 <laughs> terminator and stuff and yeah i'm sure yeah. but yeah this was like definitely quintessential definitely boilerplate didn't yeah. break any new uh ground but definitely like like you say, it's '80s. One of the '80s things is the the one-liners, right? Yes. This, this movie did have some like really quality one-liners, though. Like yes. his his one-liners were good one-liners. The ones in Running Man weren't as good. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. His his one liners in this are great. Like you know, just all the like, "Welcome to the party, pal." Like, "Oh, yeah. come to the West Coast. We'll have some drinks, have some laughs." Like, like I don't know. He just has like some very like just subtle things that end up coming off as really funny, and most of the time he's just talking to himself. <laughs> right, right, right. All monologuing. Yeah, I another think thing too. His charm. Yeah. I, I I never knew mm-hmm. until you know today. Um, mm-hmm. This movie is based on a novel called "Nothing Lasts Forever." Oh, neat! This came out in 1979. So yeah, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. It had some neat. some comics as well. Uh, uh, there's a comic called "Die Hard Year One," and then there's a "Die Hard Christmas." Probably the to uh, stroke the 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 twangers of the the Die Hard. This is a Christmas movie, fans. <laughs> yeah. um, and a million ways to die hard. Hmm. And uh, nice. there's a couple couple more novels. You have the detective, which came out in '66. Uh, Nothing lasts forever in '79, which we just mentioned, and 58 minutes, and that came out in '87. Hmm. So that that's pretty neat. Like I had no idea there were books or even comics. Yeah, at hmm. all. I just thought I there was no just, idea. Um, just movies. That's it. Yeah. You know, I uh, I only saw the second one once, and I know it's everybody's kind of like least favorite of the first three, but um, the bad guy is uh, actually William Adam Sadler. Sandler. Yeah, 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 Adam Sadler. Yeah, I no, said Adam Sandler. No, no it's it's <laughs> William, William Sadler. William Sadler. <laughs> if you just let me say it, I'd say it. And uh, I want to be cool. God damn it, you are cool. But a lot of the cast did come back. Bruce Willis, William Atherton, Reginald Vell Johnson, Bonnie Bedelia um, are all in the second one as well. I remember not liking it very much. I know it takes place in an airport, and I yes. thought it wasn't. I, I just wasn't. Also, that I would like to see Christmas it again. Eve. Oh, see, there so you go. Is this one also a Christmas movie? Probably not. Yeah, nobody, nobody even mentions that. No one, no one mentions it. Yeah, I, I remember really enjoying the third one. The third one I thought was. Like super awesome and uh, oh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, I loved that one. I really I've did. Never seen any of them <clears> except for this first one, really. After that, I stopped caring. I did see Live Free or Die Hard, which was number four, I four, guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did not give a shit about that movie. To me, that was not even a Die Hard movie. It just felt like any, like wash, rinse, repeat Bruce Willis random action movie. It didn't feel like Die Hard at all to me. And uh, after that, I don't know, whatever ones came out after that, I never even saw them. Yeah, but... there was just one more after that called A Good Day to, to Die Hard. Oh, okay. But yeah, I'd like to see I'd like to see all f- the first three I would like to watch again. It's been a while since I've seen the first one. Uh, I've definitely seen that one the most, but I would like to see it again. And I've definitely only seen the second one the one time, and I would be happy to watch that and the third one that, that'd be fun but yeah. yeah um i think that like the whole christmas thing it's like I, I, it's so weird to me like when people and i don't care like whatever i i don't think right. anybody who says it is is dead serious it's like th- this is how like because josh nealis was complaining about this online and i was like dude look all i can say is this like it's it, it it's you it's just a personal thing like whatever right. if you disagree it's fine whatever for me personally, I think it's cool to have non-traditional Christmas movies. And if any movie takes place around Christmas time and there's trees and there's music and they're walking down the street and it's like Christmassy stuff, even though even if, you know, Christmas isn't a central integral part of the actual plot, 
which is usually what people say. Oh, right. I have to be very scientific about this. The scientific formula says right. if the if Christmas is integral to the plot in some way, then it's a Christmas movie. Otherwise, it's not. Blah 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 blah. I'm like, look, all right. If it takes place around Christmas time, then that makes it more fun to watch around Christmas time. Ergo, is a fun movie to watch around Christmas. It's a Christmas movie. It's it like to me. It's a movie I will rather watch at Christmas. Like, I always go to, I always say Gremlins is my favorite Christmas movie. There's a lot of, the best Christmas <laughs> there's a lot of Christmas <laughs> stuff in, in Gremlins, even, uh, you know, I mean, Gizmo is a, is a present, you know, he wears right. a Santa hat and one, but it's like, is it really a Christmas movie? It's like, I don't know, but there's Christmas stuff in it. And it's, it's just more fun to watch at Christmas. So to me, right. it's like, you know, it's whatever you like, like, mm-hmm. Exactly, but yeah, yeah, I uh, I I I think that uh, this this does get talked about most in that conversation for sure. Yes, it's always. Yep. I I I also recommend uh, for non traditional Christmas movies that don't get talked about as much. I recommend the Long Kiss Goodnight, mm-hmm. which we've talked about on the show a bunch of times. Uh, that that's an awesome movie. It takes place around Christmas parts of it, and also uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which was a Shane Black movie with Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer and is an absolute fucking treasure. And if you haven't seen it, you need to go see Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It's fucking awesome. It is very good. Yeah, it's all a great right. movie. Um, all right, Nintendo. Is that, is that all you yeah, got that's, for that's pretty much it. Cool. Shit, really. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Retroids, we, we have wrapped. Yes. We have wrapped this here season four season finale extravaganza. Truly, I am. <laughs> I am, I am truly so sorry for forty minutes of Caddyshack ranting. But hey, <laughs> you could have turned this podcast off whenever the fuck you wanted. So, if you're still here, thank you so much. Uh, even if it's your third or fourth sit down to listen through this whole thing, thank you so much. Uh, How is he still on Caddyshack? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Jesus Christ, guys, just <laughs> fucking going. Um, but yeah, no, this season has been insane. It's been amazing, and we are very much looking forward to the future and what we will bring to you in season five. Yes. And before we go, uh, guys, hopes and dreams for season five. Anything you're hoping to accomplish? Anything at all? Anything you're looking uh, at? I don't know. Looking forward to at all? Well, basically, just to keep going would be a good goal. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just more keep, keep is better. Doing, just keep doing what we're doing. I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to more of the uh, Nintendo Street Box. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I would, I would like to do more supplemental crow's nests. I genuinely think I, I enjoy those. Agreed. A lot, and I think yeah, that yeah. it's it's easy for them to get away from us or to do stuff that's like not necessarily related. But I really like mm-hmm. when we can be like, ah, oh, boom! It's like a one-two punch, and I think that is like a, a nice meaty, you know, format to have, and mm-hmm. it's optional. You don't have to listen to the second part of it, whatever. And a lot of times we, when we do that, we try to re- re-release the uh, the supplemental mm-hmm. the same week mm-hmm. on the Thursday. A lot right. of times we've done that right that makes it fun too because you know you get two episodes in one week 
Right. It also just right. makes me feel like less bad about leaving stuff out of the initial episode or keeping certain sections brief and then leaving it for a crow's nest where we can just, you know, run our mouths for, you know, a right. really yeah. long time and not feel bad about it. Like I feel right. bad about it now, but if this was a crow's nest, I wouldn't feel bad about it. Cause I'm like, well, I mean, whatever, who gives a shit, but <laughs> that's all I'm saying. I'm, I'm thinking that I have a lot of fun doing that. And I, yeah. I think it also makes this subject feel a little bit more substantial. So I like that. I want to do that. Nice. I, I think uh, my goals are to keep coming up with as many new episodes as we can, because that's like I said at the top of the episode, it is getting harder yeah. to come up with, yes. um, you know, because we, we structure our episodes like pretty solidly. Like we really try to have a lot of structure and figure out a topic and then we kind of dive into you know, segmenting that idea and figuring out how we can talk about it in two different halves of an episode. Sometimes it's just, you know, wash, rinse, repeat, and we pick one thing for the first half, one thing for the second half. But like I said, with the boss uh, battle episode, we had a, we had a specific thing. It's like, no, pick a certain kind of boss for the first half and three short ones for the second half. And that was really fun. And we like to have that structure and we like to you know, try to keep up that level of quality, but it is, you know, it gets harder when we're four years into this. So this is actually our 91st main line episode. This is episode 91. So yeah. next, next season, we're going to cross a hundred, but we've already crossed a hundred overall because right. of all the bonus, ep- right. bonus episodes. Yeah. But yeah. So I guess uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say, uh, you know, as many new episodes as we can, but I don't think that it's a crime to double dip and to go back to previous themes that we've done and try to, you know, not, not just repeat ourselves, but either pick new, new picks of the same sort of theme, like with the boss battles or, you know, Hey, we talked about transformers in Castlevania in the first three episodes of season one, four years right. ago. Let's bring those who's, who's to say yeah. we can't figure out, maybe we'll be more structured than we were those times mm-hmm. and figure out a specific way to talk about those things or something like that. And, you know, that, that would be cool too, yeah. for sure. But I think that I want to do more Briggs. Um, I think that we had, so many fewer Briggs. I think I think I said like seven fewer Briggs or something like that. Yeah, so I yeah. sort of feel like that is something that I was not super happy about. Learn, you know, once we did the counting and we're like, oh, geez, like look at look at all that. Um, so I will say that we have some uh, guests already lined up. Some uh, we have two authors that uh, we're going to be on for October, but one of them came down with COVID, and then he works for the postal service and. It was like, yeah, this whole Christmas season, I'm not going to have any free time at all after October. So let's just wait until next year. So we have these two guys. We're going to do a, a creature double feature episode with the two of them, uh, both authors that I, I know personally, great guys. I've worked with them. Um, and uh, I, there, there's a couple of like, you know, hopes and dreams guests. We have some returning uh, people. Uh, Elmarie Wood is, is definitely going to come back for an episode, uh, probably February. We're trying to get Larry Blamire to come back on as well. He was actually going to originally come back in November, and uh, he had some delays with the thing that he was looking to promote. So we've sort of just uh, in a waiting pattern with him and waiting mm-hmm. to see. Um, but, you know, excited to have Larry back on. Uh, we love him. And, um, you know, just, uh, you know, hope, uh, hope, hope to get some a good mix of returning guests that we had such fun with, like Slumgullion guys, you know, like lots of people and friends that have things to promote and as well as, you know, some, some new people as well. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's cool. It's, it's always great to have our friends on and, and stuff, but, uh, 
you know, when we reach out and get these like, you know, low level celebrity people that we've had, we've never, you know, we're like I've said before, we're never going to have Brad Pitt on the show. He's never going to do this. Show. Right. So we're not worried about that. So, you know, our celebrities are, are much lower level, but they are, they are heroes to us, like the Stan Bushes and the Terrell Whitlashes and Larry Blamire and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I, I hope to, to reach out and be a little bit more brave with certain people. And, um, and I think I, I encourage you guys to do that too. You know, it, to, mm-hmm. you know, if there's somebody that you think that, you know, if you have, you've talked to online or something like that, Hey, just be like, Hey, you want to come on? You know, I mean, you never, right. you never freaking know. So, yeah. um, yeah, that's, that's, I guess my, uh, my sort of hopes and dreams for season five and, uh, and, uh, we'll see how we're, we're doing a year from now. Hopefully we're all still alive. <laughs> yeah, really? Uh, God, I don't know, man. You know, I'm, I, we'll see, but, uh, yeah, you know, once again, this has been a, this has been an amazing season, amazing episode. Thank you guys. Thank you. Retroids. Uh, you know, I, I feel like we normally have our, our normal outro spiel, but it just, I don't know. Should I do it? Should I go through the outro spiel or should we just you do whatever you feel like? Just, just feel it out, man. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm feeling like, uh, I'm going to leave it here and just say, you know, uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas. I hope everybody out there, you know, has wonderful time with their families. Whenever you're listening to this, I hope you are well. I hope you make some really solid New Year's resolutions and do your best to stick to them. And we will see you in the new year, in the new season, back with not a vengeance, but with a, I don't know, a sense of a sense of purpose. You know, after after four <laughs> seasons, I feel like, God damn it, you know, this is a thing. We exist now. We, we belong here. Uh, so so we're here to stay. Don't, uh, you know, don't go nowhere. Don't touch that dial. So thank you all again so much and uh, wish you all the best from all of us at Retro Red Octopus to you. I've been your host, 8-Bit Alchemy, signing off for the year. Bye.